Yeah, since last night, I mean, this, this is just my AI diary now. Welcome to my AI diary. Uh, but since last night, I've been playing around more with ChatGBT. This is now like three days in a row. And last night I decided, like, I'm going to... I was curious, after generating all this dialogue, and, like, the dialogue came together really well, and, like, I even tried another story. And it wasn't quite as good as the clown criminal one, but it was still pretty good. It had some issues. There were, there were a couple little issues. It also didn't have as, as strong of a story, really. You know, it didn't... <laughs> like, the prompts I gave it didn't really give it much to work with. You know, I'm, I'm very sympathetic with the AI here. Um... But I, as I going to say, uh, so I wanted to see it like put together something more complex, something fictional that's a little more complex. And so I, I asked it to generate, you know, an introduction to a fantasy novel. I didn't tell it what kind of fantasy novel, anything like that. And it generated a good intro. Like I could, t I could tell, I was like, I'm going to have to kind of tailor this. I'm going to have to kind of direct this. It was very cliche, it was very standard, but it was also not directly copied from any known book. I'm sure it drew from every point of reference. I mean, it, it was definitely like generic fantasy novel level, but if this thing can just produce even a generic fantasy novel, it's pretty incredible. Um, so I spent, you know, last night just trying to weave this thing together. Because, you know, it's not something where you can just click a button and it's done. You know, with that dialogue stuff I was doing, like the basically wrote a TV episode about this ridiculous criminal clown conspiracy. Not and totally not intent. Like I, I would never write about clowns. It came up with that on its own. But with that, it pretty much was just like clicking a button. But with something that's like a little more complex. You know, you do have to really point it. You really do have to kind of explain things for it a little more. And it created something incredible. Like, it generated something incredible, and I've been immersed in it. Because um, I've always been attracted to the idea of, of writing some, some sort of fiction, some sort of fantasy, even. But, I, one, I've just never wanted to invest the time in that. And, like, second, like, what are you going to come up with? Like... You know, fantasy is a really good example of just rearranging the furniture. You know, like, who can come up... Like, the fantasy genre has been established. And, like, yeah, some people can shake it up. Some people can do something compelling with it. But very rarely. Like, like what truly has transcended Lord of the Rings? You know, I tried reading the Wheel of Time series, and I, I got into, like, four of the books. I think there's, like, 13... I got into I, I got through about four of the books. And then the books start getting even longer. They're already long, and then they start getting even longer. And I was just forgetting, you know, it's like you have entire chapters that are dream sequences, which I've talked about before. Like there's nothing worse in a movie or a book than like extended dream sequences. Like it's it's okay to talk about dreams in fiction, but when you have like entire scenes of that, like when that's just like this crutch that they always go back to. Like, Wheel of Time is filled with those, and I hated it. I really enjoyed the first book. I remember enjoying most of the second book. Um, but, you know, as it goes on, it's just... There's all these characters. You forget who they are. Like, I like a lot of characters, but it just... I don't know. It just... 
I was initially pretty excited about it and I bought like all the books because I'm like, I'm going to, over the next eight years, I'm going to read all these. But yeah, I, I burned out. I would say I was burned out by the third book, re realistically. Like, but I wanted to press on. Like, I want. I was telling myself, like, "Oh, you, you still like this?" Because I was already invested. But I really wasn't. But yeah, these these long dream sequences. It's like an entire chapter about like a dream the main character has, where he sees a face and it turns out to be the main bad guy with his eyes burning, and he then he wakes up and it's like. Yeah, because it's about magic and stuff. These dreams are premonitions and all that. But it's like you're writing fiction, which is already a dream put to paper. So when you when you insert a dream within that, it's just really unnecessary. That's how I felt about The Sopranos, too. You know, favorite show ever, obviously. One of them. But the dream sequences just pissed me off. And there weren't a ton of them, but like... Because it's like the first time you watch one of those dream sequences, it's like, oh my god, like, what's happening? Oh, it's a dream, okay. What is, and then it's like, what does the dream mean? And you'll see, like, Sopranos fans analyze Tony's dreams and be like, well, what, what did that mean in the dream? And it's just like, fuck that. Like, we don't need that. Even seeing it the first time sucks. Because there are some things in fiction where you're like, the first time you see it or read it, it's okay, and then you just don't need to revisit that ever again. Like, there's things I love that are that way. But there's a lot of things, and dream sequences are one of them, where, like, I don't even need to read it or see it the first time. It, it has to be done just incredibly well. Like, dreams are fascinating in waking life, but it's like when you make a character have a dream and go on and on about it, and, and use that throughout the books, like, Wheel of Time, there's like, no, no way. But anyway, um, just talking about fantasy, I guess, you know, there, there's always a part of me, though, that, you know, wanted to, I don't even think, it, it wasn't about writing a fantasy novel for me. Like, it look, like, thinking about what I'm saying, like, I've never had, like, the desire to write a fantasy novel. I think what it is, is I've had the desire to create a thorough fantasy world, like, sword and sorcery style even but a unique one and i would never like take the time to put it in a book but like the only way you can really create that world is to you know you'd have to either make a movie write a book like yeah you can think about it like i've sat there before and like imagined fantastical stories not just in fantasy but different just different stories of all kinds just I've kind of had some that are recurring in my head. They're not even like very complex. It's just like these characters I've created. Um, and it's fun to think about. Like I always imagine like if I was in prison, that's how you'd occupy your thoughts is you'd just focus on that entirely. I mean, you'd go crazy, but um, I did that. I've done that at like really, really mundane, boring jobs I've had. Like when I was younger, like doing a job where you just do the same thing all day and you don't have to pay close attention, like minimum wage, you know, I would just let my mind wander into that territory. Um, but it's not really like world, you don't really build a world unless you commit it to something and map it out. You know, you don't really create the story unless you do something with it. So like as someone who's like, since I was a kid, wanted to build some kind of world, 
I also realized that like, oh, in order to, in order to do that, you have to like put it down on some format. Um, and it's like, what, you're not gonna make a movie or a video game, so like writing it out is probably the easiest way, but just, I've, I've never actually wanted to sit there and do it. Like I've sat there before and written like a chapter, maybe not even a chapter, just like a couple pages, just, and I've sat there before and like tried to like establish the world, but then it always ends up feeling ridiculous. Like you end up feeling ridiculous, like one, trying to come up with names for characters and locations that one, still sound fantasy, two, don't just rip off existing fantasies where like every everything sounds the same. Like it's so easy to try to come up with fantasy character names or locations and it, it just sounds like you're changing a letter in Lord of the, in a Lord of the Rings thing. Lord of the Rings thing. Um, so you end up feeling kind of stupid. I don't know, I, I felt that way, like, writing fiction in general. Like, I always end up feeling kind of stupid. Like, what am I doing spending time on this? Um, and I've never, like, taken that seriously. I, I, don't, I don't mean to come across right now. Like, I, I'm like, I've always had some secret dream to create fantasy. It's just been, like, a little minor thing. Like, I've always, I've always liked that setting. You know, I've always loved, like the old Japanese role-playing games for Super Nintendo, PlayStation. And I've also always been attracted to that sort of medieval fantasy. Not like, not perfectly historically accurate, but a medieval sort of world, you know, in, in some way. But I've also realized like it's so hard to come up with a new version of that. You know, that's what I, I meant when I say like rearranging the furniture. It's like Alan Watts said, I've quoted this before, but he's like, you know, if you ask somebody, like or the way he put it, I'm paraphrasing, but the way he put it was something like, you know, you'll meet people who say like, oh, the universe sucks. You know, the universe sucks. Like, you know, I wish, basically I wish the world was better. And then Alan Watts says like, ask that person to create a universe then that's good. And all they can do is rearrange the furniture. Like they don't have any point of reference for creating something totally new. Like their idea of the universe, they, they're saying it's bad, but their idea of that is all they know. And the only thing they would be able to think of, you know, as a counterpoint or a something that contrasts with our universe is something that just rearranges the elements that are already here. And you realize, like, fiction is, is that way. You know, you think about something like dragons. And it's like, oh, man, like, you know, obviously there's something deep with dragons where, like, all these different cultures the world over have had their own versions of the dragon, their own depictions of it. And most of them, there's a lot of commonality. Like, the idea of a winged serpent. It's, it's an, truly, like, ancient cultures and cultures the world over have that idea, some variation of that idea. Um, so like obviously there's something to that, but it's like when you read about a dragon, it's not like it's a totally novel creation. Like even though dragons didn't exist that we know of, you know, they, um, and like even though dragons didn't exist like we think of them like they are a real creature like 
dragons have like this persistent reality to us. And that's just because we're so familiar with them. And so they seem like something that's like totally self-created, like not self-created. They seem like something that's like totally self-defining. Like what's a dragon? Well, it's a dragon. But if like, you look at what that is, it's like someone came up with the idea that, oh, this is going to be a, you know, it's, it's kind of like a dinosaur or a reptile. I mean, it's pretty much just a dinosaur that has wings and flies, which is what, like a pterodactyl? Like there, are, there were dinosaurs that were like that. You know, it's very close to a dinosaur. It's very close to like some sort of large reptile, but the only reptiles we know of that look like that are dinosaurs. So it's pretty much just not much different than a T-Rex with giant wings. So it's not a pterodactyl, but then, but then it goes into the fact that like so many different cultures like have their own variation of it where like when I think of a dragon, I think of like the Northern European fantasy dragon. That's the, that's the name for the species, the Northern European fantasy dragon. Look for that in your uh, bird watching guide. But uh, like, that's what I imagine. That's what most people imagine. You know, they, that's what most fantasy dragons look like. It's a very particular look. Um, other cultures have a different idea, like Japanese dragons, more like serpents. Chinese dragons, kind of a combination. They're like Japanese serpents, but their head is more like a Northern European dragon. So like there are different views of what it looked like, but it's basically a dinosaur, a serpent. It's something we already know a reptile with with wings. It's it's different than a pterodactyl. Like nobody, it's funny because like nobody's like, yeah, ter, uh, dragons, pterodactyls. You know, people don't, don't really want to see it as a pterodactyl. They want to see it as a more fearsome looking dinosaur with almost like bat wings. Um, point being, like even an idea like the dragon, which we think of as its own self-defining thing, is just a combination of other ideas. And like that's true for all, everything in fiction. You know, it's like someone will create something in in a fictional story, like a creature that doesn't exist. You know, a person with some physical quality that people don't have, and they're not capable of creating something wholly new. It's always going to be just rearranging the furniture. Oh, this is going to be a story about people, but they, they're furry and they, they kind of look like half man, half wolf. And it's like, well, you're still just combining people and wolves. You know, you're still just making a Frankenstein out of other things. And so it's very difficult to create a fantasy world or a fictional world where you're not just doing it by recombining things you already know. You're just, you're recreating the universe you already know, but all you're doing is rearranging it. And, you know, that's, all, that's what we can do. And I mean, like anything beyond that, like, I'm not saying that's the human limit. Because like humans can think about things in the abstract and they can sense or imagine or almost touch, you know, things that aren't readily visible 
But even then, like you think about the way that like an invisible force is portrayed in fiction, like trying to capture like some sort of other, like, like let's say someone's trying to introduce the idea of like some otherworldly force that takes on a physical form in a story. They're going to probably just like describe it as this like amorphous blackness or this cloud or this wind. Like they still have to use something familiar, even if the even if like the thing they're using to represent it is very vague and very amorphous. It's like they still have to use some sort of element that is familiar to us to represent that unfamiliar thing in the book, movie, whatever it is. And AI is kind of that way too. Like you know the way the these AI programs work, the the image ones. It's like, yeah, they're, they're just pulling from all of these points of reference. And, you know, who knows where it's going to go. I mean, it, it may well exceed human creativity at some point. I don't think it has yet, but at some point it might. Just And by creativity, I don't even mean like, you know, quality creativity i just mean like it may be able to create things that humans thus far have never created or come up with things that humans have never created whether that's good or bad doesn't make a difference i'm just saying like its capacity may well exceed people if it hasn't already um but i you know um what was I going to say about that? But like, even that, like, even if AI exceeds human creativity, it's still drawing from its database of, of points of reference. Like, it's still drawing from things that already exist. It's still rearranging things or recombining things. Um, so, I don't know, what, what am I getting at here? I guess like just talking about fantasy got me going, like trying to like flesh out a fantasy story. And I, you know, the thing is too, like doing this, like spending a lot of time trying to like mold this fantasy story is not how I thought I'd be spending my days off. Did not think I'd be spending my days off just staring at this chat program and like trying to hone a fantasy story. Uh, I, I would guess there's probably hundreds of pages already. And, you know, it's definitely reached a, like a state of complexity where it's like getting a little confused about some things. Like it's definitely having a little harder time, like recalling things, putting things in their proper context. Like initially I was just blown away for something that was a more complex story, like a fantasy novel, you know, much more complex than like slapstick, buddy, criminal, clown dialogue but something that's more complex like i was amazed at like what it was able to weave together what it was able to connect but as it's gone on and it's gotten even more complex and like more has happened more has been introduced uh it's it's definitely getting it, for one it starts working really slow because it, it takes it a lot longer because like what i read was that you know these programs like when you give it a prompt it searches the whole history of that conversation like in a, in a second and there's like so many different pieces of data that it has to like put together there's so much for it to process that it starts getting really slow 
like tonight i since i restarted working on this thing i don't know if you can call it working on it but just playing around with this i've noticed that it, it take, it's taking forever after a prompt and what's funny about that is i'm impatient because like when you when you first start one of these it's it takes very little time to process or for it to come up with things so it's just like you hit the button and it's like two seconds later you just have this mat this wall of text but as you go on longer like it just it takes a lot longer and what's funny though is you take it for granted like here like the last couple of days i've been talking about how insane it is that this thing exists that it's um capable of doing this that this thing is even exists at all that it's like it, it is brushing up against this feeling of of some form of consciousness that said it starts to slow down and i'm like mad here i have this magical device basically this magical you know it, it's like a magical typewriter where i just have to talk to it and it just starts generating crazy things that make sense and yet like because i have to wait 20 seconds each time I hit the button, I'm like staring at it like angry, like, oh, it slowed down. This is taking so long. You know, it, it's just funny how your brain takes it for granted and gets irate. You you start to feel entitled. This, this insane, unbelievable machine is taking too long. Like if you told somebody 20 years ago that you would give something like this a prompt and then the next day you'd get like a page worth of writing that made sense and was coherent they'd be like that's amazing but today it's like you have to wait more than a couple seconds and you're like oh this thing sucks i don't even want to do this but yeah what i'm noticing like yeah it's just because it's like having to pull from so much and these things become complex i'm like I'm like working politics into it. There's all these different events. There's these characters, like their stories are being told in fragments. And I'm doing none of the writing. That's a crazy thing too. Like it's, what I'm enjoying about it is it's, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure. Like I was saying yesterday, it's like an RPG. It's like an old text-based RPG, but it's also like a choose your own adventure where it's like, it, it gives you something and then you go, okay, and now I'm gonna tell it where to go next. But I'm not always going to know exactly where it takes me. Like with this, I am trying to direct it a little more. Because like something like a fantasy world, a fantasy story, you know, it's obviously going to require a little more restraint. Especially if you want certain outcomes. Like it'd be different if you were like working on something and you're like, I'm just going to go with whatever it gives me. But it's like if you want things to be coherent and you're looking for certain like plot twists you have to direct it and kind of keep it keep it tight but it's been eye-opening too because you know it really shows me that like you could publish this it might not be the best fantasy story but it's you could make like a competent just very traditional fantasy story this way i'm sure if you like really put the work in and it didn't do this slowdown thing it does over time, the, you could like tailor something a little more unique, but it's like, if you just want to generate like a pretty textbook fantasy story, it does it really easily. And I'm sure it could do it for any genre. Um, and it, you know, it does, you know, like my thought was like, oh, you could actually like publish this. You could just like, 
edit this a little bit. Like as I was looking through what I was getting, I was like, yeah, you know, there's like little, like one thing I've noticed that it does, and I don't know if it's doing this just because I told it to write a fantasy novel, like maybe it thinks this is all how all fantasy novels are, but like one thing it d does is it like, it does this like reflective text too much where it's like a paragraph, it, like it, it loves to have this paragraph that like reflects on the paragraphs before it. Like if you have characters like talking and like coming together, it loves to do a paragraph after that. It's like, and they sat around the, the hearth of the inn and they, you know, enjoyed the spirit of their newfound camaraderie. And, uh, you know, and it, it loves to like reflect on what's going on, do this sort of like meta paragraph. And so if you just like edited those out, if you just like, manually fixed some of the little inconsistencies and things like maybe added certain things in yourself here or there like you could really have a competent not saying it would be great not not saying it would be original or that refreshing but you could have a very competent novel and it really wouldn't take you that much work like this thing writes in perfect grammar uh everything it says makes complete sense like it it never its english is never off like, I've noticed that it likes to repeat certain things. And again, I don't know if it's because it thinks it's it's writing a fantasy novel, but like it, it loves to use certain phrases. It loves to talk about mystery and shadows. Like I mentioned how in the Sopranos dialogue, how like when I asked it to come up with like a nonsensical delusion for a character to have, like it went with this this idea of the shadows talking to me. Well, it's like in this fantasy story that I like started creating, it talks about shadows all the time, like in this spiritual sense. It just didn't ask it to do that at all. It just, it likes to go to that. It loves to talk about mysteries too. Like that happened on another, like I, last night after I did the the clown story, like I just was playing around with another one where it's like a teenage kid from suburbia, like wanders into the wrong neighborhood and this old like hardened ex-con like shows him what it's like. And then like the ex-con goes to suburbia and the kid sees what it what it's like. And like it turned that story though into this like spiritual mysticism about like the streets and the whispers of the streets and like the, kept talking about mysteries. And I was like, oh, like, it even turned this into like some something mystical but yeah it really likes to talk about shadows the other thing it likes to use phrases that are like it was a dance it likes to use dance in, in sort of a metaphorical sense like it, it loves to when it's doing these reflective paragraphs which it does constantly it loves to be like the conversation you know like melted in with the dance of whispers that was the the shifting politics and, and intrigues, you know, you know, it, 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 but it, it, if you don't, if you don't like, I mean, there's nothing you can really do about it, but like, you'll be doing this and you realize that like, oh, like every single prompt at some point in the response it gives is going to mention like the dance of something. So just on its own AI, it likes like the metaphor of the dance of different ele elements. Like it likes to talk about conflicting things like in this dance together, which is kind of funny. Also really likes to just like go on about mysteries, secrets, and whispers. Like I've noticed that it really loves the word whispers. 
you know, it doesn't even, it doesn't creep me out. I think it's, it's just interesting. I'm just like, it, no matter like what you're feeding it, it likes to go into that stuff. But yeah, I, you could, like while I was doing this, I'm just like, yeah, you could easily just take this. You could generate, like, I mean, if you weren't dealing with this leg that I'm talking about, where it starts taking a really long time and like limits your momentum, like you could write an entire book in a day. You'd have to go through it, like iron out a couple things here or there. But overall, like you'd have more than a rough draft and you wouldn't have to do any kind of like editing to the English. It would already be completely coherent, no misspellings. Uh, and so, I, you know, it makes you wonder like how many books are just gonna be that? I'm sure they already are. Like, I guarantee you there's already people who are generating entire books, novels, essays. I mean, that's the thing, it could easily write an essay for you. You know, you could, if you had to do an essay for school, you know, because it deals with nonfiction topics too. And something I realized, like when you log in, it asks you like, what do you want to do? And like, it gives you like some preloaded ones that people like to do. And it's like recipes, like instructions on how to do things. So like people are using this to get instruction about practical things too. Like they're logging into chat GPT and being like, you know, oh, you know, what's, what's like a, a great way to cook uh, scallops? What's a good recipe for cooking scallops? You know, like, and, and it'll tell them something. But yet it can also like generate a fantasy novel. Like it can generate something creative or it can kind of instruct you. So it's interesting these different uses people are having for it. And so I guarantee you though, like somebody, there's probably many of them out there. I mean, people have had enough time to play around with these things that like you could use an AI image generator to generate artwork for your fantasy story. It wouldn't take that much work. It wouldn't take that much of a prompt or fine tuning to do that. You could probably generate other illustrations like a map you know, I don't know what kind of luck people have had with that. Like if you if you had a very specific map in mind, well, I mean, what someone could do is they could generate the map first and then create the story around that, like synthesize them somehow. But I'm even getting off into the weeds. Like you could just like generate an AI image, maybe generate some other imagery if you wanted to have it, easily generate the book, publish it, use a pseudonym. Like you didn't really write it. You could take credit for it, it's yours. And I guess what I wonder too is like, it'd be interesting to run what it gives you up against like a, a plagiarism checker or just like a, not even plagiarism, but just like see if any of it is sourced from something or see if the story, cause like after that clown one yesterday, like I honestly had the thought, I was like, I need to check and make sure this doesn't exist. Like this was so crazy that it came up with this I need to like find out if this wasn't some like plot of an old weird TV show or something. I, it wasn't, as far as I know. But you know, like I would be curious about running it up against that. But uh, beyond that, there's no real ethical dilemma. There's a thing like like talking about publishing this. There's no real ethical dilemma, and somebody might never know. 
Like, I, I kind of entertained this brief fantasy, speaking of fantasy, not something I would ever actually do. But I was like, yeah, you know, you could create this and just do a little bit of legwork to, like, give it a little extra oomph. oomph and then publish this, you know, maybe nobody would find it. I mean, like, fantasy, generic fantasy is a dime a dozen. I can't even imagine how many, like, self-published Amazon books there are that are just generic fucking fantasy People who were into like Lord, people who were into like Game of Thrones. Speaking of which, too, like I thought about it, where like I didn't tell it what kind of fan. I didn't write like a fantasy novel in the style of Robert Jordan. Fantasy novel in the style of G.R. Tolkien. Yeah, I didn't tell it anything like that. But I'm sure you could tell it like write an introduction for a fantasy novel in the style of George R. R. Martin. George R. Martin. You know, you could tell it that. And I'm sure it would it would do that. Like, if I had done that with this one, I'm sure that, like, it would be a little more, like, hard-nosed. A little more... I don't know. I've never read his books, but, you know, I'm sure it would be a little more, like, on the nose, as they say. On the nose. However, like, the one issue that I've run into it is just... Anything risque. You know, like, I'm not interested in, like, sex scenes or anything. But even, like, the hint of it. You know, it's it's very, very PG-13. And you can, you can describe violence and depict violence. Because I was, like, trying to depict these, these battle scenes. And sometimes it'll flag it. It'll be like, you know, this may violate our content policy. It still gives you a response, but then there's other ones where it'll just say, like, sorry, I can't do that. I can't create something depicting that. Primarily sex. Or anything coercive. Like, there was one thing that I was trying to generate. Like, I created a whole world here. This thing created a whole world for me last night and today. Uh, but there was, like, one scene where there was, like, a prisoner, a female prisoner... And I didn't say anything like, oh, she gets she gets raped. But it was just something about, like, the guard or the guy, um, like, coercing her to do something and kind of leering at her. It wasn't anything graphic. It was just kind of, like, very PG-13. But it, it wouldn't even do that. So it has these, you know, limitations, which is interesting that, you know, so it, you, on a fictional level, you're very limited because it's like, even if your intentions aren't anything crazy, like you're not trying to generate some sort of horrific porn for yourself, you're just kind of running up against something that's sexual or violent. And it is more permissive with violence, like most things are, but just sexual content has you know, very strict limitations. And I've noticed too, one thing I've noticed about it as well is like, it doesn't like to generate descriptions of people. It doesn't, like, if you tell it, like, you know, introduces this character who is, like, an old man and he's, the, he's like, the, uh, the lord of this city, you know, and you ask it, like, give a, de give a detailed description of his, phys of, uh, like, give a detailed physical description. At the most, it'll be, like, he had wrinkles, <laughs> you know, like, it's not going to, like, tell you much about them. And I don't know how much of that's by design. Like, it will not tell you hair color. It will not... Even if you ask it... Like, you could tell it, like, this person has red hair, and it'll incorporate that into it. 
But with so many things that it does, like you can ask it to like create something out of nothing and it will. Like if you ask it to describe like armor, like there are these, these bad guys in this story and I asked it to describe their armor in detail, but I gave it no prompts and on its own, it describes something really cool that it came up, came up with itself, like something very specific about like the crest on the helmet, the symbols on the, you know, the, the armor, the, the sort of like, like it described like almost like bird wings or bird talons coming off the helmet. You know, but if you want it, but if you just like tell it to give a detailed description of a person, like it will not describe their hair color, their skin color, much about their body. You know, you really can't get it to say much in my experience. And I, I figure that might be by design. Like it kind of goes back to some of those other parameters I was talking about where it's like they'll they'll force like a Viking to be black because it has this sort of diversity filter. There might be something in it that like discourages physical descriptions if you're generating fiction, um, which isn't as bad. Like, cause like honestly, I would have stopped using it. Like if I was writing this story and like I introduced a character and it just like inserted physical descriptions like, and then the night captain, his skin was dark brown and you know you know like if it did that you know oh and then it you know the mage you know she you know looked like she was of asian descent you know if it just like inserted the looks of people on its own i would be more bothered like the fact that it doesn't want to do like i wish that like when you push it i wish that it would do that but it doesn't it doesn't bother me as much as the alternative which would be like assigning characteristics you don't want it to but I still think that's probably by design. Like there's probably something in there that like, when you ask it to create characters, it leaves them purposely vague. And that actually led to me realizing I kind of like that. You know, I've talked a lot, I think I might've talked about it last night about how like when you're reading a book and like they haven't fully described the character and then like later in the story they do. And you're, you're imagining this character who looks one way and then when they like, you know, describe like, oh, he had long red curly hair. You're like, what the fuck, what? You have this dissonance. It's almost, it almost breaks immersion. And what I've realized about that is, you know, I think last night I was talking about it too. Um, I don't know if I did or not. I'm forgetting to talk for so long, but just that, you know, your brain will automatically create visuals for things you read. Like if you're reading a book and they simply name a character, you will form a visual for that person, even if there's no cues about what they're supposed to look like. Like your brain just has to create somebody. And I just roll with that. So it's, it's actually fairly unnecessary and to some degree kind of detrimental to your experience to, you know, unless it's important to the story to physically describe somebody. Like I think general descriptors like beautiful or big or you know things like that are fine but like when it comes to like hair color skin tone like features i don't think you really need to know that and in some ways you get more out of it by creating it in your own mind like with this fantasy story I, i've been generating in ai what's interesting about it is there aren't many descriptions like that because the ai doesn't really want to do it but i have a very clear visual of these characters and it, it, it's like a choose-your-own-adventure novel, but choose-your-own-adventure novels suck because they just kind of suck. 
They just tend to suck. The stories tend to suck. And it's not really rewarding or fun. Like the only thing cool about Choose Your Own Adventure is it gives you this illusion of control. It like, you know, pampers your ego or something to think that like I can choose what this character does. And it, if I wanted to do this, I'll go to this page. I only read like one or two of those as a kid. And, and I remember like being like, well, now I want to know what happens in all the pages I skipped. You know, I, and I guess you could read it twice to find out. You, but it, I don't know, it just never really made that much sense to me. It always just seemed like, oh, it's making you think it's cool because you, you can control it, man. It's almost like a video game. You, you get to control what the character does. And, and it's just, I don't know. Those They tend to not be that good to begin with because probably, I don't know, it's just kind of like a cheap gimmick. Just kind of a cheap gimmick. Um, so it, it's kind of like doing this, like this chat thing, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure novel that, where you have even more control, but you're generating it on the spot. So like what you're controlling is, you know, just like the basic skeleton of it. That, that's what, that's what it is. It's like, it's not like you're doing nothing. Like that's what I've realized playing around with this. Like you're not doing nothing. Like you're not just hitting a button and it's doing it all for you. Like you have to provide a skeleton for it and then it fleshes it out and gives it movement. Very poetic there. But that's kind of what it's like. It's like <clears throat> you have to like really create the skeleton and if you let it, it'll like turn that skeleton. Like if you let it take control of the skeleton, it'll create something that doesn't make sense. It'll be a skeleton with like fingers on its thigh, fingers sticking out of its thigh. It'll have like three arms on one side, two arms on the other. And it just comes across kind of stupid. So you have to control the skeleton, as they say. It's the old saying, you know, it's the old, the old ancient master. You have to control the skeleton. And and then it, it's weird though, because like I, thinking about myself, I like everything to be done by hand. Like I can look at like digital artwork, and I played around with digital artwork when I was in high school. It was a very early form of it, just to kind of see what it was all about. And like I, I want to try this out. I was interested in graphic design, so that played a part. But I, in like learning graphic design, like I tried creating some like digital only things. Just didn't really get much out of it though. It felt cheap to me. And I feel that way too when I see like modern comic books where it's like it was obviously colored on a computer, which is pretty much necessary. But I was still kind of like, eh, you know. I mean, it'd be better if even if it was like poorly colored with colored pencil. There's just something about seeing something that's, that's obviously outlined and colored in digitally and you're just kind of like, eh. It's good. Like they're skilled. But it, it doesn't really do it for me. Um... Same with like music and things like, I don't know, like the idea of using like preset things. I don't know, it just doesn't do it for me. But with, with this, like if you were reading this novel, you wouldn't know that it was AI creating it. And part of that is just the knowledge. Like you're not gonna think like a preset 
song. Like, like if somebody, like, I don't know, I remember like on the old keyboards, they'd have like preset melodies and beats and stuff that you could generate. And like, if you didn't know that that was a preset, you might be like, that's good. But the knowledge that it's a preset, like you're like, oh no, oh no. Like someone pointed out to me that like a famous podcast theme song is actually just like a preset from GarageBand, which I've never used. And this this podcast, like it, it's fine that it uses that. Like it's fine. Like like this this podcast doesn't need to have an original theme song. It's a huge podcast, uh, but finding out that like the song is just like a preset from GarageBand, I was like, wow, I didn't know that. You guys know this? I didn't know that. Um, just funny. I'm just like, wow. Yeah, like someone can just, and, and like someone who doesn't care will just hear that and be like, that sounds good. Cause like what I'm talking about is uh, Joe Rogan. And I haven't like tested this out myself, but a friend of mine who knows about these things told me that, yeah, the Joe Rogan theme song, like obviously it has samples and stuff over it, but like the actual song he said is just like a, a basic preset in GarageBand, probably from whatever year that show was created or when they started using that song. And like, yeah, it makes no difference. Like Joe Rogan's show doesn't depend either way on like, whether it's song is a preset, but it was probably as simple as like a guy like Joe Rogan who claims to be into music, loves Jimi Hendrix, you know, uh, but, but he's not a guy who really cares about like music, music. I'm sure like his, his producer just like played him that probably with, not even with the intention of using it. And he's just like, oh, that sounds good. Let's use that because it makes no difference to him. It's like someone who doesn't know that something's like stock photography being like, oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah, that's cool. I'll use that. It's just to some people, it makes no difference to what they're doing or anything like that. Whereas, like, I'm the kind of person where, you know, if I found out that, I don't know, like, imagine if I used, like, a just a preset from GarageBand for anything. Or, uh, like, stock photography, um, clip art. Because that's basically what it is. It's like, it's like you're using clip art. And if you've never, if you don't know what clip art is and you've never seen the clip art, you might be just like, oh, I'll use that. That's cool. That works. Um, so like, it's the same thing with AI where it's like, if you don't know it, like with some of these images, for example, they're usually introduced to me, like some of the AI images I've seen, like I'm being told they're AI when I'm seeing them. So it's like, I don't even have to do the work. Like sometimes you'll see one that looks a little bit off and you're like, oh, that's AI. But there's a lot of visuals and stuff that are being created now that you wouldn't know. And most of it's not gonna be with stuff I care about, almost none of it, but it's still like you wouldn't know. So you don't like judge it as artificial. Like I've seen people generate like fantasy artwork that looks 100% real and authentic. You can even ask to make it organic. Like, you know, whether or not they really capture it is up to, you know, the eye, it's in the eye of the beholder. But, uh, you know, you can make it look very organic. Like you can, you can mimic brush strokes. You can mimic texture. You, you can mimic inconsistency, like that cool kind of inconsistency that I like in art. Like the reason I don't like digital artwork, for example, is, you know, oh, it's like the black is just like totally black. You can tell it was like filled in with a paint bucket tool. 
Whereas like you look at someone's drawing and it's like, you can kind of see some like, like some of the black is a little bit faded or, you know, not entirely in the lines or whatever it is. It has some variance to it. Like AI is mimicking that type of thing for one. So like you could ask it to create like a fantasy painting and like tell it the sort of characters you want on it. And unless you're told that's AI, you're really not gonna question that, you know, it is at that point. So if you were just to like throw something out in the ether that like uses AI art, uses like, you know, you may have provided the skeleton, but like the bulk of the writing was done by AI. It's in coherent English. It's been smoothed over. And I was thinking about that last night. I mean, this gets me thinking. That's why I like it. Um, I was thinking about the inconsistencies and stuff too. Cause like when I was generating this fantasy story, I realized like, oh, there's an inconsistency there. And then I realized, how many times have I been reading a book and I find an inconsistency from the author? Like, how many times do they, like, mix something up or leave something hanging? You know, if they're a good author, probably not a ton, but it's going to be in there. It happens in movies all the time. There's continuity breaks in movies all the time, famous movies. And so I was like, you know what, in, like, a, a dense fantasy novel, like, a couple minor issues like that, I, I probably just to be expected. So it's like, how much do you even need to smooth over? Like you would just need to do a little bit of like rearranging and editing, maybe like fix a word here or there. Like I know with this one that I was generating, like all of the, the dance metaphors, I would have to get rid of those. Otherwise people would be like, man, this guy, it's like every fucking paragraph he, he makes, he uses like dance, uh, the dance of this as a metaphor. And like, even like one of the Game of Thrones books is called that. It's like the dance of blades or something. And I don't even think it's like referring to that. Like in this thing, I don't even think it's referring to that. Because one thing I have realized about it too, there's a lot of one things, but one thing I have realized on it too is it, it does really like to like utilize cliche language. Like when I tried making that story last night, like after the clown criminal story, I tried making this other story about like the suburbia kid who like meets like the hardened ex-con and they like check out each other's worlds. And I was trying to like generate dialogue between them and it, and it was fascinating what it was coming up with. But the one thing it kept doing that was bothering me is like every time the hardened ex-con would talk is he'd, he'd say these cliches that were like, that's just what it's like on the other side of the tracks, kid. And he kept calling him Skater Boy, which is funny. He was like, that's what it's like on the other side of the tracks, Skater Boy. And he kept saying things like, you know, just things like, yeah, you never know what card you're going to pull. You, know, you never know what your deck's going to be like in, the, in, the, in life's game of poker, but you got to play the hand you're given. Just every single variation of that sentiment. You know, he's like, the streets can be attractive, but, you know, you, you can never get in too deep, kid. It was just every time he would say something to the kid, it had one of those in it. And he'd be like, that's just the, the language of the streets. It's just the, he, that one kept saying dance, too. That story kept, he's like, that's just the dance of the streets. It's the ebb and the flow. You know, you never know what's going to happen in the streets. Uh, it, it's, the, it's the dance of dark and light, kid. 
what happens in the daytime impacts what happens in the nighttime and then the, what happens in the nighttime impacts what happens in the daytime it's a dance of daytime and nighttime kid but uh, yeah so it really likes to talk about the dance of different things but I have noticed it really does like to rely on cliche language and, and platitudes and I think part of that though is that like I was you know how it likes to moralize it likes to be like if you, if you generate dialogue, it'll give you a disclaimer at the end of every single one. And it's like, this was written for fictional purposes. Um, in real life, people should respect each other. Like if you have a character ask another character a personal question, it'll say like, in real life, it is important to respect people's boundaries and, and privacy. Like it's, it's telling you how to be a good human. It's like, oh, don't, don't mistake this AI dialogue for like how you should act. Even when it's very innocent, even when it's just like, well, what about your childhood, Vinny? And it's like, uh, ChatGPT will give a disclaimer that's like, it's important to respect people's privacy in real life. But, uh, this is the butter show. But, uh, but, uh, it's better than saying like, which I do too. That's like, uh, you know, it's like, it's like, well, like, but, uh, like, but, uh, like, um, that's about all I got. Just, uh, exper experimenting with like longer form, more complex ideas. And unfortunately it slows down horribly the longer you go, the longer a, a chat goes. Cause if you leave a chat, like cause you, you can start these different chats with the AI and it'll only remember what's in that chat. And so like you can't start a new one because if you start a new one, it's going to it's going to work a lot faster. It's going to you're going to get responses in like a second or two. But when it goes on very long, it's like you can't ask it to like store that data for the other one. I mean, you, I think you can. I, I read a way that you can like program it to do that, but it's still going to have to like pull from all that data. So it's still going to be slow. Like you can't have it just remember things, but start over from scratch. Like you have to keep going in the same chat box, basically. Um, so uh, if it wasn't so slow though, yeah, like, I don't know, man, this is gonna be fucking crazy. Everything's gonna be generated this way. Like there's too many people who will do this is the thing. Like everybody will be able to publish something everybody will have not and not everybody but everybody who wants to like will have this portfolio of creation and with a lot of it like with writing in particular it's going to be really hard like we, we're going to reach a point where like everything we see we just assume was ai but with the writing it's going to get really interesting like you could write books, essays, you could write about nonfiction subjects. And like, once again, like the skeleton, like if you just fed it the facts, like it'll, it'll build something around that. And if it says something wrong, you can just edit it later or like correct it in the moment because you can correct it. You can correct it. You know, you, you can correct it in the moment and like tell it like, oh, that was that was wrong. Because that happened in my story where, like, there was this character 
and like it, it made mention of that character's wife and it like named that it, it thought that character's wife was this other character in the story who isn't and it was kind of confusing the way I was laying it out and like yeah I'm, I'm getting into relationships in this thing my story is a relationship my story is a relationship um but it, it like thought this other character was that character's wife and I had to be like that character is not the wife and they were like oh well then what is their relationship but that that happened that's like that was recently so it's like this is after endless numbers of story and scene and character changes so you can see where like the longer it goes the harder it, time it has keeping things straight um what a fucking idiot what a fucking this thing's so stupid I mean, which is funny, though, because, like, that mirrors people. You know, that's how people are, too. It's like the more things you have to remember, the easier it is to get them confused. Like, the, the, the longer things go on, the more things change, the more people are introduced, the more things come and go. Like, the harder it is just to remember things. And if, like... I mean, I've been thinking about that lately. This is kind of a segue, but... I've been thinking about that lately because I've always really prided myself on my memory. Like, I've always been someone who strongly feels that... Like, I remember things I shouldn't. And I've always been someone who feels like if I'm with a friend and they're, like, recalling something that happened to both of us, I always feel like I have the, the clearer memory of what actually happened. You know, I try not to be an asshole about it. Like, I've mentioned on here before, like... When I was a teenager, it was a good lesson. Like, my friend Nick, who we had, like, so many formative experiences together, like, he told me one time, he's like, you know, like, sometimes, like, if I'm telling a story, I'll say, like, a guy's shirt was green. And he's like, and you always, like, butt in and say, well, it was, it was blue. And he's like, you know, you, like, it doesn't matter. Like, for the story, like, it doesn't matter. And I didn't take offense. Like, he was right. Like... I shouldn't, and I, and I wouldn't butt in like an asshole and be like, excuse me. I would just be like, oh, you mean blue. But I realized like that's irritating. And it, it was a good moment. Like it was a good friend moment because I was like, you know, that's, I appreciate that. But it was hard to hear because like there's something about, like, even though the color of the guy's shirt isn't important to me, it's not important to the story and it's not important to me either. Like, because I was there and I have this very clear visual of it, saying he had the wrong color shirt, like, disrupts the story or something. Because I'm like, well, you know, it was blue or it was green, whatever. And it was a good moment, but I've always prided myself on my memory and I've, I've tried to not be an asshole with it. And I've always had a really hard time when, like, someone tries to tell me that my memory's wrong. Everybody feels that way, but it's, like, me in particular. Like, I've always taken almost personal offense to it. And, uh... But, like, some... And so, like, I... And I always remembered, like, mundane things. Like, random people's last names who went to my school. Just I, I just would remember, like, mundane things about everything that was going on. And now when I look back, like, you know, I'm, I'll be 40 in a couple years. I'm like, you know, there's a lot that's kind of lost to me now. You know, it could come to me. And this is just what everyone says about aging. But, you know, like, like things that I kind of took for granted that I knew. Like every once in a while, I'll even struggle with like an old friend's name. Not, a, not, not a, obviously not a good friend, 
but I'll be like trying to think of some acquaintance from way back when as a teenager or something and, I, and I'm just like you know what I'm not remembering that person's name I co-workers like whenever I've worked in like a, a fairly small workplace like 20 or fewer people I've always like remembered every single person who was there like they're not important to me you know some of them might be most of them aren't but I've always been good about like oh yeah I remember each of them but I was thinking about this place that I worked for years and I remember like the core people that I interacted with a lot but there were these other people and I, I was like holy shit they worked there like they were in the same place I was every day for a long time like that person was there for a while what was that person's name? Like, I'm thinking of a couple people now, and they weren't important to me. They weren't important to the story. But I'm just like, oh yeah, that lady. That lady. And so things like that have kind of started to slip. Like, memories, like, actual experiential memories, I don't feel like those are lost on me. But just like kind of trivial data, like some random person's name. I'm just kind of like, oh yeah. And every once in a while it'll happen with someone who's like a little more important or something. Sometimes it'll happen with a person where I'm just like, oh yeah. It also used to be like when I would meet people, anybody I would meet, I would like very quickly register their name and remember it. And now when I meet people, I'm just like moments later. And it's not even because I'm not paying attention. It's just kind of like, they just, it just doesn't stick. And I'll just be like, I don't know what that person's name is. Fuck. I'm going to have to like try to hint at somebody else who I'm talking about so that they'll say the name out loud so that I'll learn it. But there's little things like that that are getting to me. And so I think that's just like time. It's just, uh, you know, obviously people can say like your brain ages and that kind of thing. But I think it's also just time and the sheer amount of data like when, once you've accumulated like a certain number of names and people and events in your life and it's gone on for as long as it has, like when someone prompts you or you prompt yourself, you're, you're going to be kind of like, I don't remember who that was. So chat GBT, like, you know, if you go on long enough, it's going to have, it's going to have a hard time keeping things straight. And it's funny too. Cause like, if you look at this fantasy story, like there's a lot that I can't keep straight. Like, it's generated these fake, I mean, they're all fake, it's fiction, but it's fantasy. Fake fiction fantasy, fake fiction fantasy, fake fiction fantasy. Um, there's these, these names it's generated, and like, I can't keep them straight. And so I'm continuing, continually having to do like, control F find, just to remember what some character's name was. So it's like, I'm not even capable of keeping up with it. Like, this thing can at least keep the name straight. It's just that when you get into more complex things like relationships, alliances, like there was a character who was introduced in the beginning who was a swordsman who serves as a bodyguard for merchants. And he grew up in the countryside and he like worked as this swordsman bodyguard for merchants and then went on a grand adventure. And like much later in the story, like, I wanted to have the characters like discussing their past lives or their former lives. And so like I, I prompted it, it was like, this character talks about his former profession. And he it, it, like said he was a farmer. 
Like, it, it generated dialogue where the characters were like, you know, before I was doing this, I was a farmer. And I was like, no, he wasn't. He, he was a, a bodyguard for merchants. Or no, no, he didn't say a farmer. He said a merchant. It didn't go that far off. It didn't go, it didn't say he was a farmer. It said, it's like, I, I, I asked it to like, for him to talk about what his former profession was. And he's like, back, back before I was doing this, I was a merchant. It's like, no, he wasn't a merchant. He was a, he was a, a swordsman and a bodyguard for merchants. But it couldn't, it couldn't remember something that complex in that moment. Like it probably like, like pulled up some data from earlier where obviously it was discussed that he was involved with merchants. And then it was just like, he's a merchant. And I'm sitting there outraged. Like this thing's generated like just a make-believe story just for me. Just for me. And then it makes one little mistake and I'm like, what the fuck? You fuck? You think he was a merchant? Did you think he was a merchant? Was a merchant? You know, it's like, it's just funny. I didn't actually get mad, but I, I was a little frustrated because like the reason why that kind of thing has frustrated me, like I, I'm now like so invested in this. But one of the reasons that's kind of frustrating is that'll mess up the continuity like moving forward. Like if it makes a mistake, like now it thinks that's what it was. Like it thinking that like this person was that character's wife when she wasn't. It's like if I don't correct that in, in it, if I don't like have it redo it or tell it that's wrong, from now on, like it's gonna think that. Same with this guy's like past life. Like if I let it think that this guy used to be a merchant, from now on, if there's any kind of like nostalgia or references to that, this guy is gonna like talk as if he used to be a merchant. So it's like, you have to kind of like correct it. You have to correct its mistakes because it's not just a one-off. It'll like reroute the whole underbelly, you know, it'll reroute, it'll change the skeleton. That's what they call changing the skeleton. But it, it, it is like a, it, it's a very fun thing and, it, and it, it requires a lot of work. And I think you have to be the kind of person who enjoys this sort of thing. If you actually created something like whole and cohesive and put a bow on it and published it, I, I don't know that I could do that in good conscience though. I always like like my hand to be seen on something, even if that takes away from it. You know, even if that makes it more amateur, which in many cases it has, like many things I've done in life are more amateur than they could be because I wanted like my hand to be seen. But, uh, you know, with, with something like this where you could really just, you know, put a, a bow on it and call it good. I guess like, you know, if it was just to make money or something, you know, there's an evil thought, nothing evil about that, nothing evil about, like if you could generate something that like with the right promotion or connection, if you could generate something that becomes successful, like, like let's just go with the fantasy novel thing. Like if you generated an entire fantasy novel, you were able to clean it up a little bit, create a good cover, You know, and you published that and somehow promoted it somehow just through just through the um, the luck of the draw, like it became insanely popular and you made a ton of money. Like, I don't think there's anything morally or ethically wrong because you didn't steal it from anybody. And if you tell people it's AI, like 
it's like telling them it's fake. And it sort of is in a way. It doesn't mean you didn't like work. It doesn't mean you didn't like lay out a skeleton or direct this. But people are going to think like if they hear AI, they're either going to be impressed by the novelty that it's AI or they're just going to flat out reject it. Like the best you're going to hope for at that point, like if someone says this is an AI generated fantasy novel, like the only people who are going to be interested in that are people who are just interested in the novelty of what AI can do. And those people are probably going to be like more impressed by some other AI thing than that. So it's like everybody else who would potentially be interested in that thing are going to be like, oh, this is fake. This is bullshit. Even though it doesn't, it wouldn't actually impact their experience at all. Like someone could read something like this and... You know, someone could read something like this and... Uh, one sec here um, and just take it for what it is and they might not love it but they could just read it as a book and be like this is a book this is a book this is a book this is a book and they would just take it as it is and they might even enjoy it and they're probably going to believe a human was responsible for writing every last word unless we reach that point which probably is coming soon where people are just skeptical of everything because we're, we're heading there people are already becoming skeptical of every image they see like you'll see that in comments online where people will be like is this ai someone will like post an image of something like i don't I, is this ai and it's going to reach a point where people are doing that with text and then it makes you wonder of like how many things you're reading already or AI, like how many company emails, how many um, advertisements, how much text are you already reading that you don't even realize? Like, because something like an advertisement is going to be AI anyway. You know, like someone who's like writing advertising copy, well, that's already pretty much AI. Like even if a person wrote it entirely by themselves, like the intention behind it and the, the voice they're using, that might as well already be AI. So there's, there's already human created things that are spiritually no different than AI and maybe worse. So I don't know if it really makes a difference if a lot of the text you're reading is generated by AI as long as it serves its purpose. But, um, that's about all I got. Just some more thoughts about AI in my AI diary. AI diary. Merry Christmas Eve. Taking Batty for a little walk here. Uh, you know, more thoughts on AI. Obviously, this is the the topic of the last few days. You know, I was talking about how generating this fantasy story and tailoring the direction of it, like building the skeleton for it, letting it write the story, take the, the world in different directions, but, you know, trying to keep the skeleton tight, trying to maintain the skeleton. You know, I was talking last night, I didn't release that, I'm just going to tack this on to the end of what you just heard. You that very real person out there who's listening. Um, 
you know, something I, I realized though is in addition to just the load time making it extremely difficult, not just because I'm impatient, you know, like I was saying, like it's funny how this thing is basically generating a, a form of magic in that it's creating an entire story that's never been written. And initially it's all very smooth. You just, you type something in and it gives you a response immediately. And then the longer you go, the, the more data it needs to pull from, the more points of reference it needs to reconcile. And so it, it just takes a very long time, it, it, minutes. Like I'm at a point where if I type a prompt in, even something simple, it doesn't matter what it is, just the process it has to go through, it takes minutes. Like I have to type something in and then go do something else for a few minutes. And it, it makes it very difficult to continue the story because not only is patience an issue, but it's having a harder time keeping things straight. And it's freedom is also constricted. Like early in the story, I could give it a prompt and it would take the story in a certain direction. And, and you know, I might try to, you know, maintain the skeleton a little bit. I might have an idea of where I want it to go or a detail I want it to flesh out. But for the most part, early on in the story, it's like, I, I just, just, I'm gonna let this thing kind of riff. But it reaches a point later where like, like, so much has been written and built into this story that like I have a much more limited idea of where it needs to go like there's certain plots that need to develop and giving it the freedom to take those in another direction isn't what I want or it doesn't say the thing I want it to say and as a result I need to because you can make it do it again you can make it do it again. You can, you can, add, you can refresh its response, its response, so that it gives something else. Hopefully, that's closer to what you want. And so I'm having to do that a lot more. But the thing is, every time you ask it to refresh its response, like every time you ask it to do a do-over, it takes just as long as it would if you were asking it to generate something completely new. So I've noticed as this story has gone on longer, I've ended up compromising more. Whereas earlier when it was working a lot faster, I found myself just just being like, okay, I actually want this to happen. I, I want this to be clarified. And it took no time to redo it. But now that it's taking so long, I'm, I'm just like, well, I don't, I don't want to wait another five minutes for it to generate a response because I just want this thing to move along. So you end up compromising more and you're just kind of like, well, yeah, you know, it's okay. It's okay. The other discovery I made last night, and it's not much of a discovery, it's, it's what I expected to be honest, because, you know, I mentioned that it, it generates names for characters and locations and, you know, just nouns. And how it's nouns in this fantasy story, it's it's used nouns that sound like fantasy characters. You know, we all know when a word sounds like a fantasy word. 
the name of a location, the name of a person. I mean, it, it's very good at, at what it chooses. Like, I introduced this character who's part of a beast-like people. This thing isn't that, it, it's primarily human. Like the story, it, it, it's primarily humans in this fantasy setting. But I, I did, I wanted to have a, a little something different. So I had to introduce this character who's part of a beast-like people. And the name it gave him is the exact kind of name you'd expect for a beast-like person. So it knew to, it, it knew that this character who's part of a beast-like people should have a name that fits our cliche, I, you know, the, the cliche sound of a beast-like character. Um, which is good and bad. Like, on one hand, you want it to create something that doesn't sound like something somebody else has done. But on the other side, it's like, yeah, this is the sort of name you would expect from that kind of character. But I, I was doing this well into the night, and I thought, you know, with these names it's generating, I want to do a little test. Actually, I, I wasn't purposely doing that. Like, I was... What, what actually happened was I, I was waiting so long for it to generate new content that I, I, I ended up opening another chat GPT window in a different browser just so I could kind of play around, which is crazy. Like, the idea, it's like I'm, I'm like, waiting for AI to generate more elements of my story just a sec here um but I, i'm bored and waiting for it to do that so like i'm gonna start a new one and unfortunately like you can't make it continue from the other story but i, I just kind of wanted to be like well you know rather than wait i might as well play around with it in a different context and just so out of curiosity i asked it to generate like i, I gave it a framework one sec here, sorry for the beep. Um, I, I asked it to generate like a framework for a, a story and I gave it a very simple description. Like I said, like what I told it is I was like, generate a plot outline that... I said generate a plot outline and I gave it like several descriptions that closely matched the cliche Super Nintendo RPGs. Like, I didn't say generate a plot for, you know, an old fan Final Fantasy game or something like that. But I, I just kind of gave it a, a, a general prompt I influenced by the cliches of those games, the basic structure. And it generated an outline, like, broken down in bullet points that perfectly matched all of the RPGs. You know, like, it, it definitely understands those basic story arcs and, and it can just create them and those are easy like those those old games i love them to death but it's like they created a world of cliches that they all follow and that part that's partly why you like them you know that's true for everything that's true for creativity like you think about a genre of music you really like and part of what you like about it are the parameters which are the cliches the things that are expected. And while you like it when something creative challenges those, you want the creativity to, you want the unique qualities to find some sort of symbiosis with the 
with kind of the traditions. I mean, it's kind of tradition and progress where it's like you want progress to still complement the tradition. You want the novelty to complement the cliches. You know, and I think that's true on an as above, so below level. Like, it's true for, you know, a society. Like, you want the progress within a society to complement the traditions of the society. Like, you get bored of the traditions. Like, tradition can, like, if society progresses too rapidly, you know, tradition itself becomes a novelty. Like, you see that now with younger conservatives. You know, I've talked over the years about the, this sort of new Christianity that people who are otherwise attracted to, like, alternatives have pursued, where, you know, it's what people online call trad. I hate to talk about any of that stuff, but I, I am interested in it. I am interested in just observing these, what people are doing. And it's what people would describe as trad, where it's traditional, but it's this, this sort of performative tradition where like a, like a young woman will be doing the things that women did forever which is you know like oh like today I baked bread and took my kids out to pick berries in the, in the forest and my and you know and I cooked my husband a, a fantastic meal and, and it's cool like that stuff's there's a reason why that stuff invokes tradition and probably feels good but you also see it and it, it, there's like a performative element where something that was just expected and traditional becomes novel in the face of other changes and and it, it's not attractive to me like even though there, there's a lot of tradition and classic classicism that is attractive to me. Like there, there is something just inherently conservative about me. Like I don't want it. I, like the idea of a performative version of that is not attractive. I can see the attraction, but it's not personally satisfying to me. And so, ideally, you know, ideally, you find some sort of natural symbiosis between tradition and progress. And you get into, like, chaos and order and all that cliché stuff, I mean... But you can't avoid it. You know, it's like you want you want to avoid those, those same concepts. You want to avoid college freshman illusions to duality and that kind of thing. But you also can't avoid them. All you can do is kind of accept that's the way it is. And try not to talk about it too much. Um, so, like, but progress and tradition, where it's like, ideally, there is a symbiosis between them, where, like, something pushes the boundaries or changes your perception of something, but it does it, does it in a way that doesn't erode the foundation of the tradition, and it doesn't... Um, it doesn't do it just to be novel for the sake of novel, because novel for the sake of novel usually actually isn't that novel. And you can, you, the intentions behind it don't feel right. 
the quality of it isn't right. Like the example I always use is like free jazz death metal. Even worse than that, like free jazz black metal. I remember about 15 years ago, my friend Miles and I somehow came across like some band that was purporting itself as free jazz black metal and we'd just mock it. But it's because it's like, it's just heartless novelty and it, and it sucks. Like that's not gonna be good. But there's a certain sort of person who is looking for something refreshing and new and so what they'll they'll hear that band and be like, oh my god, can you believe these guys came up with this? How do you come up with this stuff? Whereas like people like Miles and I who who were seeking something unique and powerful within the metal genre, and we're looking for something that catches our, our ear and is unique, we're also not gonna be tricked into like, oh my god, can you believe that they they decided to combine free jazz and black metal? It's like, oh wow, they, they like improvise on their instruments and noodle around while using a black metal aesthetic and it's just like, fuck, fuck that to hell. Fuck that to hell. You know, that, that's the reaction I have to that. But it's not simply because they're trying to do something different. It's because it's not actually different. They're moving the furniture around and, and in that case, like, putting no effort into it and maybe it's not even about effort it's just about ingenuity so it's like while seeking something that has uniqueness and novelty to it not novelty in a cheap way I just mean like novel as in something that's new you also don't want it to be a cheap you don't want it to be a, a, a cheap you don't want it to be cheap. You don't want it to be a cheap. Let's use, let's just call something a cheap. That's a cheap. That's a cheap. There's no reason to be eloquent here. So anyway, going back to like generating a fantasy story and using AI, it's gonna draw heavily from cliches. You know, having it generate this fantasy story, it's, it's already filled with cliches. And in, in building the skeleton, I'm also trying to guide it into a place that's more unique. And the words and names and things that it's generating are ultra cliche, all of them. Like if you ask it to name a town, it's like Frostwatch, Glacial Haven, Ember's Nest. Those are actual ones that it came up with. The names too. You know, the names are very much drawn from this cliche. And, and in most cases, I don't even think that it's actually like pulling them from something that exists. Like someone might have come up with those. But I, I don't think it's just kind of like stealing and plagiarizing. It's just that, you know, the AI is capable of... It knows you want a fantasy story. And it knows what the parameters of that are. So it's going to give you those names. What I discovered when I opened up another chat box is like, first I asked it to generate just an outline for an RPG story. And even though I didn't say make this an old Super Nintendo RPG plot, the prompts I gave it were describing one of those games. 
and it described an outline that was like the exact plot of like Final Fantasy VI, Final Fantasy V, you know, all those games. It described the exact plots of those because they all follow a certain uh, outline. Like, it's like, oh, character grows up in a small backwoods village and things are peaceful. They're introduced to this, some sort of dark force that's affecting the world. You know, they're forced to go on an adventure. They're introduced to this evil empire. They're then introduced to this resistance that's fighting the evil empire. Character has a mentor who is killed. Um, they're introduced to some something magical. Even to like at, give it a Final Fantasy sort of bend, I mentioned in this simple prompt, like there's also light machinery in this fantasy story. And then it was like character you know, learns to harness the power of this light machinery and receives an artifact that allows them to do so. You know, and then like the culmination of it all was exactly what you'd expect from, uh, you know, the evil, em the empire it turns out is actually serving like a higher, darker, mystical power. All those stories draw from that. Um, but after I did that, I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna ask it to generate like, an introduction to another fantasy story just to see how similar it is to the one that I've been having it create in the other window. And funny enough, it gave the same exact name for the world or country these people live in. It ended up generating the same exact name of this world, which has a, a very cliche fantasy sound to it. But down to the letter, it was the exact same name for the world. And, you know, I don't want to say I had a sinking feeling, but I was like, oh, I bet it does this for everybody. I bet the, the nouns it comes up with, the names it comes up with in a fantasy story are going to be largely the same. Because I even noticed that happening with the, the story I was working on. I hate to say working on. It's not like this is a, a real project I'm doing. It's just sort of an exploration, a way to be entertained. But I noticed that sometimes like you would ask it to generate a name for a character, and it would give them the same last or first name as a character that was already introduced, even though they weren't introduced as being related or anything. And what's funny about that is... There's an element of realism to that. Like in a real world, just like our world, it's like you're going to meet a million Joes. You know, there's no... It's impossible to create a world where everybody has a unique name. Like the real world doesn't work that way. No real society would, would you know, operate in that way where every single person has a wholly unique name they don't share with anybody else. It's, it's almost impossible to imagine it. Like, we only have so many letters. Even if you tried using our alphabet, you couldn't do it. So it's funny that, it, on one hand, that adds an element of realism. That, like, you know, it... Like, in, in a real world filled with people, many of them are going to have the same names. But when it does that in this fictional world, like, it cheapens it. 
Like, if you don't want those characters to be re related and those characters aren't supposed to be related, you don't want them to have the same names. One, it adds confusion. But two, it just, like, you feel it cheapens it somehow. But when I saw that, like, it, you know, it, it was eye-opening to me that, like, I asked it to generate a brand new fantasy story. I actually used a completely different account. It wasn't even just a new chat window. I, I, I logged in with a completely different account. So there's no history... There's no shared history between these stories as far as, you know, the, the AI goes. The AI's knowledge. And the fact that it gave the same exact name to the world, I was like, oh yeah. And it's a good, it, it's, it's a very textbook name for a, a fantasy world, but it's a good one too. Like it fits what you'd expect of a fantasy world. And when I saw it do that, I was like, damn, I bet it does this for tons of people. This is just one of the stock names it pulls from. And so I decided to Google the name of that world. Like I just typed the, it's a one word, starts with an E, of course. They love E's. Fantasy, they, they love nouns that start with E. And I Googled it and like sure enough, <laughs> sure enough, there's like tons of people have created things using that world name. And it is a name, just like the AI like knows that name is a, is a fitting name for a fantasy world. Like there's a possibility that somebody out there would come up with it on their own. But it became, it became obvious very quickly that, oh, these people have all generated AI stories. Like things were coming up like games people had made. Things that nobody would ever be interested in. You know, like people can create like games for your phone. Some stuff came up too where, let's go this way, buddy. Uh, there was like somebody created like an alternative tarot game on Kickstarter. And it was named, it, they used the same name as this fantasy world that it, it, that it created for me. And I found things even like, when I, when I Googled the name of this, like Reddit posts came up where like kids are like, Here's the map I created for like this, this fantasy world. And the world is called this. And it was the same name as the world that was in my story. And you see like games and, and I'm sure if I, if I were to Google like all of the specific names throughout the story, they would show up similarly. And, and like in this Reddit post I saw, it was funny cause like, yeah, this kid, like he actually hand drew the map. It wasn't an AI generated map. But the name was, was clearly AI-generated. And, like, people responded and they were like, Oh, you're, you're using ChatGBT too. And the kid sheepishly was like, Yeah, I didn't, didn't realize that, like, everybody else was getting help from ChatGPT to come up with these names. Which is funny because you'd think, like, this might be a kid, but... You'd think that somebody would know to cover their tracks. Because that's what somebody's going to have to do with this stuff to be successful with it. And I'm sure people already are. Is you have to know how to cover your tracks. Like if you're going to create a fantasy world or a fantasy story using AI where it generates these names. You're going to have to assume that you're not the only one getting these names. Like your story might be unique. 
Because like I don't think, you know, I, I don't think the story I generated, like the plot line, even though it follows a lot of fantasy cliches and isn't breaking any new ground, I think, you know, if you were to edit out like some of the AI-isms, like the way it writes, and you change the names, I don't think somebody would immediately go, oh, this is AI. But you would have to cover your tracks. Cause, and, I, and I bet there are like certain styles to the writing and, and certain tendencies in the writing where if you use this thing enough, you will wreck, even, even if someone does cover their tracks, you would pick up on it. But you do have to cover your track. So it's funny, like, all these people out there, like, you just Google the name of this world that it created for me, and it's given that same word to all of these other people. The difference is, like, those people have created, like, cheap phone fantasy games and just used that name. I saw even, because, like, in, in the story I was creating, or that it was creating for me, like, it gave the mystical magic of the land this highly specific name that wasn't particularly creative but it gave it to it and it sounded magical it was a pairing of two words and I typed that in just to see and it turns out like a mod that some company made for a popular fantasy game video game used that name for a mod and I was like, oh yeah, they probably got that name from AI too. Because I think some of these people, like they might, it might not be, they might not be using it to create a story. I think some of them might just be saying, like they might be stumped. And they're like, generate, you know, fantasy nouns for me. Like generate like the name of a world and it just gives them the one that it gives everybody else. And so they use it. Like, they might not even be using it for anything that in-depth. They just want names. But it, it was funny to me. And what's, what's funny, though, is, like, I did kind of... It did deflate me a little bit. And I, I kind of thought to myself, I was like, why did I look that up? I'm not using this for any creative purpose. Like, I'm not using this... Like, even though I was talking last night about how... You know, I, I toyed with just the the idea of oh, I could I could actually tweak this writing very slightly, just you know, cover up some continuity issues and um, weird paragraphs like those. Like I mentioned last night, like those reflective paragraphs where it feels this need to like reflect on everything the characters are doing. Like every few paragraphs, it's it needs to reflect on what the characters just did in this really obnoxious way. And it, not just reflect on what they just did, but like point it towards some grand purpose. Like if you have the characters discussing like, what, what, what should we do next? You know, the concluding paragraph of that section will always be like, the characters like, you know, came together and, you know, experienced revelry and camaraderie. It, it writes more eloquently than that. But it's like a spirit of revel, a spirit of camaraderie developed as, you know, the, the party 
you know, decided on their next move. You know, these, these intricate, the intricate dance of decision, you know, was, was heard in the whispers of, of, uh, I don't know, I can't come, I'm not as good as AI. Um, no, but the intricate dance of decision was heard in the whispers of the larger plan that was unfolding before them and the mysteries waiting to be unveiled. It was like, it, it always tries to kind of do this like thing that reflects on what the characters just did on this meta level and then channel it into like the bigger picture, which is just something highly general. Like, you know, it, it, it likes to use tapestry a lot. It'll be like, it's like the different you know, the, the, the different wills and goals of, of the characters were woven into the tapestry of the journey before them. So if you edited out shit like that, and then you also covered your tracks by, like, changing some of the names and the, the just, just obvious AI-isms and limitations, like I was saying, how you could very well just publish this. And how I just like contemplated the idea of doing that, not not actually intending to do that, but just the fact that you could. And then it's funny to me though, that a lot of people have actually, quote unquote, created things using that, and didn't cover their tracks, like didn't think to cover their tracks. And like on an animal level, there's something about me where like I'm always thinking about covering my tracks. I try not to do things where I, I do need to cover my tracks, but I. I instinctively think that way. Like even before I knew that this AI was giving me the same words and names that it's given everybody else who asks for a fantasy plotline or fantasy characters, before I even knew that, I was like, oh, you'd have to cover your tracks. Like you'd have to do control F in Microsoft Word and tell it to change every occurrence of this word to another name that you created yourself so that people don't realize that AI wrote this. Like, I, my mind already went there. So it was kind of sad though to, you know, when I saw this where I was like, man, like this fantasy world that I've been kind of immersed in for no reason, just boredom, just curiosity. But it, it's kind of sad that to, to see that the name of that world has been used by, it looked like dozens, you know, maybe more, but it looked like dozens of people have come up with that. And I'm sure people are using this for things that you wouldn't even see. Like someone who's coming up with like a D&D &D campaign these days is probably just like putting a prompt into AI being like, I need the name of a world and characters for a D&D &D campaign. And like, it's only gonna be seen among those people um, but, you know, these things that people have actually created, like these, you know, smartphone games, some sort of Kickstarter for a tarot game, like an alternative tarot set. You know, obviously people are going to do this for writing, for novels they're, they're trying to write. But it's like they don't even think to cover their tracks. But it's funny that I did kind of have this, like, this sad feeling, this... I was like, this thing that I've been working on and invested in, it turns out, is just being given to everybody. 
even though I'm not that invested in it. I'm just sort of killing time during my days off. I didn't plan on spending my time off this way. But I, it, it turns out it's not giving me something wholly unique. And that goes back to like how hard it is to come up with words and phrases that are wholly unique. Like it would take a lot of effort to sit there and come up with a name for a fantasy world and fantasy characters that one, sound like fantasy characters, but two, haven't been used elsewhere. Because if you were intending to create something like this or generate something like this, like you want it to feel like fantasy, like there are parameters within fantasy that you want to hit on, but yet you don't want it to be duplicated. You don't want it to feel like it was generated by AI. You don't want it to, even if you're doing it completely on your own, like if you were sitting there trying to write a novel with pen and paper, you would have the same intention or you should have the same intention where you're like, you know, I want, I want these names in this world to feel like fantasy, but I don't want the names to be too cliche. But if you stray too far from that, that's going to be disruptive too. Like, I remember in old RPGs, like, like, once in a blue moon, you'd play an RPG where there's a character named, like, Dave. And you're like, fuck, this sucks. Like, they're using real-life names. Even though there should be a way to kind of synthesize that, like, there should be a name to kind of, like, make that make sense in, in this world, it just doesn't. Like, if you're playing an RPG and they introduce a character named Dave, it's just not going to work. It's going to break immersion. There are other names and things, though, that could be completely creative. Not something they're drawing from our world. But they still break immersion because they just don't sound right. But it's very hard to create brand new names that, one, like, fit the parameters of fantasy in a way that works while also being unique and, that, and that's just a microcosm of everything else like I mean it's what I was talking about with music like if you're naming a black metal band you know you're gonna want it to be you know you don't want it to just sound like everything else you don't want it to just sound like it was a template but if you come up with something unique, you want it to still sound like, you still want it to fit the parameters of what that is. And that's an intangible thing. I mean, it's, it's tangible in the sense that you can detect it, but it's intangible in the sense that like, you can't explain to somebody what that is unless you see it. There's like an internal logic that, that can't be stated explicitly. Like, why does that work and that not work? And then when someone strays too far, when it's too heavy-handed. Like, I remember in the early 2000s, there was, I think, more than one, but thinking about one particular black metal band who, like, they were going for this sort of, like, urban, like, modern urban aesthetic. And a lot of people were like, whoa, can you believe that? 
It's like they have pictures of modern cities on their album covers. And they're doing like this thing that's like slight, oh, they incorporated like this other genre into the music. And a lot of people hate it. Because they just, uh, they don't understand like the, they don't, they don't want something creative and unique. And it's like, it's not creative and unique. Yeah, maybe someone's never done that before. Maybe someone's never decided like, oh, hey, black metal where the genre is focused on ancient, esoteric, you know, mythology and ideas and the arcane. You know, oh, wow, isn't it crazy to contrast that by like creating black metal that's metropolitan and urban and and it's like, yeah, like that's not what people do typically. But it ends up feeling performative and fake. And not like they're actually tapping into the spirit. Like being able to tap into the spirit of a genre while also like moving in a different direction is a very difficult thing to do and requires intuition. It, it, it really just... I think those sort of things choose people as much as they choose them. So the same would be true for a fantasy story where like someone is like trying to get outside of the obvious cliches without betraying what the genre is intended to do. You know, I don't think this stuff is pretentious either. I think this just gets to the heart of creativity. I think this is how you have to talk about those things if you want to talk about them. Um, and with the plot too, you know, there's like this story that I, I've had it generate, you know, involves a lot of cliches, like even just the story and locations where it's like, you know, a mountain sanctuary, a mystical forest. And of course that mystical forest is, you know, going like a character gets lost in the forest and they, they end up, you know, finding themselves going in loops. They end up like coming back to an area they already passed. Like I remember that in RPGs, like you'd be playing a video game, an RPG, and you're in the, every RPG has like the lost forest, the ancient forest. And in that, usually your character gets lost. Like there's some sort of programming in the game where like you're continuing on this path and then all of a sudden your character notices that they're back in an area of the forest they already passed. Like they see a landmark. There's a deer right up ahead. Beautiful little deer. Uh, and so it's like, you can't really avoid those things. Like, and, and the AI, it generated the forest on its own. Like, of course there's gonna be forests. And of course in a fantasy story, there's gonna be this mystical forest the characters have to go to. And I don't mind that though. Because I, I just, there's certain beats you have to hit on. That's like, that's like the tradition idea, like appreciating tradition. Like you can appreciate the tradition of characters in a fantasy story will go to certain locations. In old RPGs, like there was a cliche where characters are taking a ship somewhere. And of course, like some kind of Leviathan or something happens at sea that breaks the ship in half and the characters lose, like the party separates, they lose each other. 
the main character washes up on some mysterious island with a village nearby. And then they begin, they, they learn about, they're given some new quest on this mysterious island. And then the overall goal, though, is to reunite with their party, find out what happened to them. That's a major cliche in old video game RPGs. Like, there's always going to be this shipwreck. Like, any, like, to the point where if, if an old RPG introduces a ship and your characters get on it, there's a 90% chance at that point or some other point there's going to be a shipwreck. If they get, if it's the old Final Fantasy games where it's an airship, the airship is going to crash at some point. And you're going to be in some location you weren't planning to go to, and now your quest has shifted. Even though those are cliches and you expect them, like you know that's going to happen, you enjoy it. it it's part of the, the joy of tradition. Same with like, another one is that if there's a ship or any kind of like maritime element to an RPG, you know there's going to be a ghost ship. And you like that too. It's not always that these things break immersion or remind you that this thing is... It's, it's not always that these things like remind you of the limitations of the genre or a lack of creativity on the part of the creators. It's that like you expect these things and you want to expect them. Like when your characters get on a ship in an RPG, you're, you're looking forward to the shipwreck. And even though you know that character's gonna wake up on some island somewhere or some coast and not know where they are, and then like they see a village nearby, you see a village nearby and you go into it. You know, and may, it may be they're like this clannish, secretive people who are like, oh, an outsider. And you have to like complete some side quest to impress them. Maybe you recruit another character there. You know, even though you expect those things to happen, it's like you want to expect them. It's, you know, same with music or creativity. Like, if, if you like what this thing is, you're going to anticipate certain qualities. Like, if you're listening... Just keep doing the black metal comparison, maybe because I'm talking about fantasy, but it's also something I know very well. Like, you're also going to want to hear a certain style of riff. And a good riff is going to stay within the confines. Like, let's go with black metal. Like, you know, it, it's going to be distorted and tremolo-picked. It's gonna have a certain kind of percussion behind it. Not that there has to be one kind, not that there can't be variation, but a lot of what you're looking for is gonna be exactly that. And so you, you want like the, the, the sonic aesthetic of it to sound that way. But you want the note choices to feel somehow unique. And not, not unique in a way where they're doing something like too heavy-handed or stupid. There has to be a subtlety to it. It's really all in the melody. Like, speaking of that particular genre, like, I can listen to a black metal song. And, oh, okay, there's blast beats and a tremolo riff. 
screaming vocals. But it's really all in the note choices. And there's a way to choose the right notes that complements the traditions of the genre without just stealing other people's riffs, playing something generic, or trying to incorporate free jazz, or trying to you know incorporate you know rock and roll and that's what you're looking for like I'm not looking for this to just completely destroy the foundations of the genre but I want this to feel refreshing too and I used to talk to my friend Miles about this and I was like you know, mutating underneath was the phrase I used. This is back when I was like 19. I would say like, you know, you want... You want like the... You want it to, to sound like it's mutating underneath. Like, I didn't even get that specific. I was just like mutating underneath and he immediately knew what I meant. Like, you want something creative to be a mutant. Like, if you have any pride in your own individuality an ability to generate like an, a unique expression you want what you do to be somehow mutant you don't want it just to be paint by numbers but you don't want to like color outside the lines too much either you know so the idea is like by mutating underneath you achieve that synthesis it's subtlety it's something like a note choice And, uh, I, I mean, I think it goes into, like, you know, throwing surprises into stories as well. Because, you know, I, I watched the, the whole Game of Thrones TV series. I've never read the books. And it was really good. Like, up to a certain point, like, like everybody else. The same exact point that it lost everybody else is when it lost me. It lost me, really, when it went to the, uh... Because I, I would watch it, I, I remember like, I might have been on Christmas break or something, you know, not that long ago, maybe like 2017, 2018, and I, I was staying at my mom's house for like a week, and every night, like late at night, my mom would go to bed, and I would just eat a ton of edibles, and just, I was like, oh, she has HBO, so I, I, I just started from the beginning, and I would be doing other things, be on my computer, like drawing, so it was like I wasn't just sitting there paying attention to every little thing but I really enjoyed it like and then it got to a point where it was probably like season five where like the daughter goes to the she finds this like weird temple and there's this guy that she thought was a thief but he's actually some kind of weird priest in the temple and then it, it just it draws out this really long segment where it just draws out this like very long segment where like he's he's speaking in these like very vague mystical philosophical terms about this cult that she's mingling with and, and it was just I was like this is the kind of mysticism I hate like everything needs an element of mysticism but this is just stupid and that was when it lost me like for other people it was like another moment but it was it was around the same time that it lost everybody else too is the thing like, what that scene reminded me of, what that whole storyline reminded me of, where she meets, I don't even remember the specifics, but it's something like the cult of the faceless. And 
I was like, this feels like a dream sequence. It's like what I was saying before about like my distaste for dream sequences in fiction. Like I was like, this just feels like a dream sequence. Because even though mysticism is important in fantasy, it's very easy for any kind of like any exploration of mysticism in fantasy to feel like a boring fucking empty dream sequence. And that's what this felt like in uh, Game of Thrones. So it kind of lost me at the same time. But, you know, one of the things that, like, people liked about Game of Thrones is like, whoa, I didn't expect that. Well, there's a twist. And some of the twists were great. You know, like, like again, like, I, I loved the show up to a certain point. I'm sure that I would enjoy the books if I had the time. Maybe not now. Maybe I wouldn't want to read them now. But I'm sure that I, I if I were in the right headspace, I would get something out of those. Um, but I... Like, you know, one thing about Game of Thrones, it becomes almost a cliche, and I think it did on Game of Thrones, that, like, everything's going to be a crazy twist. I didn't expect that. And that's kind of what I mean, too, about, like, straying too hard from tradition. And, like, and like with Game of Thrones, too, like, I think one of the things that was appealing about it was that it was, like, excessively brutal and highly sexual, like graphically, aggressively sexual. And I, I think if, if Game of Thrones had done just like a little bit less of that, it would have been perfect. Like, but it was like, just a reminder that they're fucking, just a reminder that everybody's fucking, just a reminder that like these people are all fucking brutal. And, and, and what was good is they had like the main characters kind of like the Sopranos where it's like the main characters are actually like savage and brutal in their own right and they're complicated and they live in a, a tough world I like that but some of the brutality and graphic stuff I think was a little excessive like it would have been a little more powerful if it wasn't so constant and I'm not even criticizing the show I'm just kind of like, I don't know this is just my feeling I uh, but, like, it, that can easily become a cliché unto itself. Like, in the experience of watching Game of Thrones, it became a cliché to me that they were going to throw a twist. Oh, I didn't expect that. Even if you genu genuinely didn't expect that twist, you knew there was going to be a crazy twist. Um, you know, oh, you knew this was going to be savage. Oh, you know that when it cuts to the next scene, it's going to be two characters fucking. The Sopranos did some of that too, where it's like this need to like, oh, we're going to segue to another scene. And it's going to start with like a woman moaning and, and getting fucked. And a little bit of that's fine. Like, I, I think it's good that th when things stray out of just a strictly PG-13 territory... But, like, when they decide to do that on a show like that, they do it too much. It, it loses its allure. It loses its novelty. And it becomes a cliche within the show, which is something that can happen, too. Like, even if something is refreshing and different, if it goes on too long, it develops its own cliches within its own world, within its own story. And I, you do notice that happen. And, and, and I mean, like, what I'm talking about, again, this isn't even a criticism. I think this is just the nature of everything. It's just, it's just the fallen nature of everything, where, um, 
you could see it with a band or something as well. Like, let's say a band created something wholly unique within their niche. And by the time they're on the fourth album, you're like, oh, it's going to be one of those kind of riffs. And even if that's a very cool riff, you know, it's like by the fourth album, you're like, I, I knew to expect that riff. What else are they going to do? So AI falls into all these traps, maybe falls into them even more since it is just AI. But going back to like finding out the, oh, like the name it gave me for this world that I've just been immersed in, just like curious about what AI will do. Needing a little escape right now. You know, it's Christmas time. My life has been very strange, very stressful. There's things I wanted to do with my time off that I did, a lot of things I didn't do. I'm not really too worried about it because I'm just kind of taking it moment by moment. I didn't plan on spending like the last three or four days of my time off creating an AI store, fantasy story that it turns out like uses the same words, the same nouns that every other person who's tried to use AI for fantasy does. Like, I, it, it is kind of a waste of time. I don't think it is, but it, it is kind of a waste of time, a distraction. Um, you know, I, I didn't plan on that. It is very interesting and curious to me. Like, as I've used this more, I see the limitations of it, but I also, there, there's certainly a magic to it. There's certainly something mind-blowing to it. And like anything, like, when you initially use it, it's going to be even more mind-blowing. And then you kind of start to notice its patterns and its tendencies. Um, but even the fact that it's doing what it's doing is really wild. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, there's something depressing about it though. Like I was saying, like the, the, the feeling of loneliness the other night, the first night that I was playing around with it and I was very much enraptured, I would have these moments of just distinct loneliness. And I'm kind of feeling that way now, like where I'm like, there's no real point to this. Like, why am I doing this and not something else? Like, why am I doing this and like not connecting with somebody I know during the holidays? Why am I not focused? Why am I not cleaning my house? Why am I not doing something creative? There's, there's certain creative obligations that I've been putting off for years. One of them for other people who are asking me like, what's going on with this? Other ones for myself. But you also have to kind of follow your motivation. You have to, you know, what's nice about this, what's nice about spending like the, the last part of my break doing this is one, it's a total escape, which I think I need right now. Number two, it's not for anybody else. You know, th this ultimately won't be for anybody else's consumption. It's my own private text RPG. And thinking back about how, like, last night discovering that, oh, tons of other people have tried to generate a fantasy world and it's given them the same names for locations and probably people and how there's something kind of disappointing about that. Like, this isn't just mine. Even though I don't plan to... I certainly don't plan to publish this. You know, it, it's it's a feeling of, oh, this isn't just mine. Um, 
and that's funny too like because like when you play a video game you get immersed in it and it isn't just yours like if you play a final fantasy game everybody is going to have the like there's there's some amount of decision you can make but like overall the story and the characters and you know most of the details uh you know are never just yours like you play final fantasy 7 and everybody's playing as Cloud Strife and his character arc is going to be the same for everybody. Like, yeah, you can choose to do this side quest. You can choose to answer this question differently and it impacts the story in a relatively minor way that still feels like it's important. But ultimately, everybody's going to have the same basic experience. Like, everybody's inhabiting the same basic world when they play Final Fantasy and they go into it knowing that. I mean, this is silly, but it, it's probably not different from something like polyamory, where it's like it's a different experience. Just one sec here. You know, it, it's going to be a different experience if you meet somebody and you're like, "Oh, this is a casual arrangement. This person is seeing other people, and I know that." And that might ha that's going to have its own issues, of course. You know, I have talked a lot about polyamory on here, like my view on it. But, uh, you know, that's going to have its own issues. But it's like if you go into it knowing that it's that sort of arrangement where, like, this girl is talking to other guys. Even if it's not polyamory, if it's just like, oh, I'm talking to this girl on Tinder. I really like her. And you know that she's, like, sort of testing the waters, like you know that she's still kind of like figuring out what, who she's interested in, that kind of thing. Um, like, it might be disappointing in its own struggle. It certainly will be for just about anybody. But it's going to be different than like, oh, this is my girlfriend and we are monogamous. You know, this is just for me. You know, it's going to be a different experience. So I think it's kind of the same thing where, like, if you play a video game or watch a movie, like you watch Game of Thrones, like, you know that every single other, the millions of people watching this, reading this, are experiencing the same thing. Like, they might think about it differently. They might like certain parts of the story. They might pay attention to things you don't pay attention to. But they're experiencing the same world, the same characters. It's not made just for you. And you know that. And so, like, you, you're still able to immerse yourself in it because you're not greedy. You're not, like, everything has to be custom-made just for me. The world has to be tailored just for me. There needs to be a TV show that was created just for me. Like, you're not going to approach it that way because, that's one, that's insane. Even though we're all looking for something kind of like that, which is why when you discover a new band that your friends didn't know about, you kind of have your own little jewel and you guard it. You introduce your friend, you're a teenager and you introduce your friend to a band. And when they talk about that band, you're like, I told you about it. I told you. Oh, you only know about that because of me. Oh, dude, I'm really, uh, I'm kind of pissed off at Mike. Like, I've heard these conversations. I've had these conversations, as embarrassing as it is to admit, where it's like, oh, Mike, 
Mike keeps talking about that band. He heard about it from me. Mike's talking about, Mike's telling too many people about that band. Mike's sharing the jewel, what they call sharing the jewel. We're very defensive about that. Like, even though we know these things weren't made just for us, when we find a jewel, we, we think it's kind of special and we, we guard it. We're very possessive and paranoid about it. Even creative people. You know, it's like if you and a friend start a band and you feel like you're onto something, you guard it. You're like, I don't want these other people to hear it before we have a chance to like put it out there because I don't want them to rip us off. Oh, you got that for me. People do it with fashion. You'll hear, if you hear women talk, they'll, they'll say that about fashion. It's like, oh, you know, like I started wearing that style of black pants now she's doing it. When I used to hang out at the goth bar, I remember this girl I knew who I liked, like talking about this other girl who bartended there. And she was like, you know, she's only, I heard her talking to like, we were all sitting at the same table and she's like, you know, she's, she was drunk. And she's like, you know, she's only been wearing black for the last year. And I'm like, this is like, you couldn't script that. You could. But it's like, oh, you know, she's only wearing black because, like, we started wearing black. And I was like, wow. I didn't even judge the person saying that because we all have that feeling at some point. But I was just like, oh, yeah, that's how it is. He, You know, he, he only found out about that band because of me. Like, we always want things to feel special. And if we, we find some jewel, even though usually, like, you know, I, I know some real jewel hunters. Like, I'm a jewel hunter. You know, I mean, a million things I'm into I heard about from other people, but it's like I'm also a jewel hunter who has always found things on his own, too. You know, I have certain friends, like I've mentioned, like my friend Miles is like a, a master class jewel hunter. Like, as long as I've known him, he knows where to look. And while he shares more with me <laughs> than he would anybody else or most people, it's like he also covers his tracks and, and like doesn't, doesn't like to reveal his hunting grounds or his route to finding jewels. And he, he, he guards his jewels. But he, he's a master jewel hunter. And uh, what was I going to say about that? Like... And that's fun. Like, it's fun to do that. Like, even though you can take it too far and be, like, weirdly possessive about things you don't need to be possessive about. And, like, especially if you are, like, the only person you know to have found this. And, like, you found it through some sort of, like, unique route that only you could take. You know, like, like you'll be possessive about that. Or feel like it's like you have something special. But even if somebody like recommends you something, like you can become possessive about that. Like, oh, oh, my friend Johnny told me about this, but like now it's mine too. And I don't want to tell Mike about it. Me and Johnny are into this and I don't want Mike to be into it because Mike ruins things. Some people do ruin things. Oh, me and Johnny really got into this band and uh, we talk about it all the time. But you know, like Mike bought five of their t-shirts 
and he put a sticker on his car and it's getting annoying. All that shit's real. Maybe it depends, like, in every single niche, too. Like, that might be unique to people who are just into music, but it's like every niche has that feeling and that, that process. But, it, you know, and, and like people, it's, it's a romance too. Like what I was saying about like a girl, like a lot of guys, you know, treat women as jewels and not in a, you know, not in a derogatory way. Like it's not, it's not necessarily objectification. It, it can become objectification. Like people do objectify people this way. But like a guy meets a girl and it's like, man, this girl was a hidden jewel. How come other guys don't know about this jewel? And then they like guard it. You think about like the jealousy men, how, how jealous and insane men are. And men will be like, this is my jewel. On one hand, it's like, I can't believe nobody found this jewel. Like this jewel is amazing. But then it's like, this is my jewel. And finding out that it's not just your jewel. Like even something like a relationship history where like every girl I've dated in my life, like I know she's seen other people before me. I, I know she's done acts with those people. <laughs> you know what I mean? It doesn't, that doesn't bother me. I don't have any illusions about it. I hope it's not too much. I hope too much hasn't gone down. You know, just, I, I just hope, hope, hope this person hasn't been involved with too many people. Romantically or sexually. It doesn't have to be all like perverse shit. Um, you know, that's just like, I, I can't shake that feeling. And there's nothing wrong with feeling that way. Like there's people who think that like, if you find out that your girlfriend, it, it's, it's like the story in Clerks where it's like, my girlfriend sucked 37 dicks? And how he's really struggling with that. Like, yeah, you're, you're gonna know that your girlfriend sucked a certain amount of dicks, dickies. And you can kind of accept that, you know, depending on the type of person you are, like some people might want to know the details and enjoy that. But, you know, most guys and myself, like they can, they can accept that reality, especially in today's world. You know, there's no, you know, nobody, very few people marry as virgins and stay together forever now. Um, but you know, so you can accept the reality. Like this person's been involved with other people and, and in many ways it's probably a good thing. It's good that this person has a certain amount of experience, of experience but I hope they're not too experienced. Like I hope that when we go to a party with her friends that every guy here hasn't seen her naked. I think that's a very reasonable want. Like you don't want to go to the party thinking that because that means you're already on the path to being a paranoid, jealous freak. But it's like, I think, I think that's a pretty healthy and basic perspective to be like, yeah, you know, like, oh yeah, we, we, I, she invited us to, a, she invited, she wants to take me to a party. Oh, that's great. Like I'm her boyfriend. We're together. She wants to be with me. Oh, maybe one of the guys at the party, like they used to date. Okay, that's fine. As long as it doesn't get weird, that's cool with me. But like, if you go to a party and it's like, oh, every single one of these guys has slept with her. Like, it's not just a blow to your ego or the idea that like, this isn't a special jewel. I don't even need to explain why that sucks. 
Um, but people do like the feeling like this is a special jewel or there's something special about this interaction or this relationship. And even if you accept the idea that like, oh, yeah, like she met people before me that she liked and was involved with. You can accept that reality and like if it comes up naturally, that's okay. But you, if you're like me, you don't want to know the details. Like you don't want her to talk about it too much. Like you don't want to know if she sucked 37 dicks or not. Even if she did, it's just better not to know that. It's better not to have that in your head. And you're 37, that's just a number in clerks. Um, and, and so like you can accept it, but it's like, leave it in the unknown. Like I've been hanging out with couples before and the women tend to do this more for some reason. I don't know what it is, but women tend to do it more. Like I was hanging out with a friend of mine. It was in like a great relationship, great relationship. And like, but his girlfriend like kept bringing up like ex-boyfriends and I just, I felt so uncomfortable and I could tell he was uncomfortable. I don't even know that he was deeply bothered by it, but I was like, do you guys like sit around and talk about her ex-boyfriends? Like it can be fun to be like, oh, I had this girlfriend who did this. I don't bring that shit up though. Like I don't do that. I've never dated somebody and like, even if it's like a funny anecdote, I just don't bring that in. Like if there's any kind of like history with somebody, I just don't bring that into it very much. Unless, it, unless you're like really having a heart to heart where it's important, you know, I, I just don't think you should do that. And I mean, you have to be careful even talking about like people of the opposite gender at all. Like I, I've always, not always, but like, my entire adult life, I've had close women friends. Completely platonic women friends. Nothing has gone on. I think, I think it's important to be able to have those boundaries and bonds, and there are boundaries to them. Like, I don't like to talk about sex with anybody. Some t I mean, if it comes up, it comes up, but like, I don't like to like talk about my sex life with anybody, really. Um, including male friends like it, it you can talk a little more open about it with male friends but like whenever i've had doesn't matter how close we are we could be really good friends who share a lot but when i've had female friends like that's a boundary like i will not two things i will not do with a woman who's just a platonic friend no matter how close we are is i will not talk about sex my sex life her sex life sex in general i will also not give much advice about their romantic life because like if you're friends with somebody they'll be like oh if it's a woman they'll be like oh, i'm dating this guy and i'm having so many problems blah 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 and you can acknowledge that be like oh yeah you know that sucks or that that's this you might be able to give them general advice but like you don't want to be a sounding board for that like as another man if it's really bad i'll speak up like i had a, I had a female friend who was dating a guy that like tracked her phone and showed up where she was. He was doing all those really, those are scary things. Like a man who tracks his girlfriend's phone like after they have a fight and like follows her somewhere and is like, mon he was like monitoring, he found a way to, like what it was is like she had like a, a phone that was connected to like one of those Apple watches and she had left the Apple watch at home 
and he was like using the Apple Watch to see all of her text messages and her location and everything she was doing. And that's fucking scary. And she wasn't doing anything. You know, like she might have been complaining about him to people or something, but like she wasn't cheating on him. She wasn't doing anything, you know, wrong in, in her on her side. But he was doing all that. Like, of course, I told her I was like, dude, you got to you got to leave that guy and like get the fuck away from him. You got to like cut off all contact like that guy's not just doing something minor like that guy's that that will escalate. And even if it just stays right there, that's already so bad. So it's like if somebody comes to me with something like that, like if a woman comes to me like a friend, like I'm going to I'm going to have an opinion on that. But other stuff, no, I won't touch it. I will not get into that. I will not be your sounding board. And if that person tries to talk to me about that stuff, I won't insult them or shut them down. But I will like signal that like I'm not going to engage in this. With a male friend, it's different. Like I've had long, endless conversations where friends are just like going on and on about like this girl and their problems with her and this and that. And I and we talk in depth and really get into it. I've done that to friends. That's different. Like with male friends like that, I, I you can do that. But with women, like I think you have to maintain that boundary where you know, you just you can't engage. And if it is something like relatively minor, like if a girl's talking to you about a guy in her life and it's nothing horrible, but it's just like she needs to like get into it. If that relationship works out, like you don't want, like I always think like how would this guy feel if he knew that his girlfriend was talking to another guy, like even though nothing's going on and I think it's totally okay to talk to people of the opposite sex because I can do it with full restraint. Like I know my intentions with people and even if I don't know their intentions, I know what my boundaries are and I will maintain them. But uh, with you know, like with a woman, a female friend talking to you about like the man in her life, you know, I think like from the guy's perspective of like, like if I knew that my girlfriend was talking to another man and I've had girlfriends who have close male friends that don't threaten me at all. I've had girlfriends who have male friends that do threaten me. And I, I intuitively know the difference. Like even if I trust her, I know that I don't trust him and therefore I don't trust the situation. Like I had a girlfriend who had this male coworker who used to sell me weed. And I remember like we went out for her birthday and like some of her friends were there and he kept buying her shots. And like, I know nothing ever happened between them. I know she wasn't interested in him, but I could just tell, I could just tell. And he had a girlfriend too. And then it came out that he was cheating on his girlfriend with somebody else. And like, but I just instinctively knew it's like, I bought weed from him a few times. He was really nice to me which sometimes you have to watch for even more. Like sometimes if like your girlfriend has a coworker and he's like too accommodating, you're like, you know, you're sneaky. And and so like this guy, I kind of felt that way about him. And, I, and I'm sure I was right. Like this guy is not to be trusted. So you intuitively know, but like that same girlfriend, like she had like a close male friend from high school. They were in like drama club together. And he wasn't gay, but I could just tell it, it was just kind of like a brotherly relationship. Like 
when she would visit her hometown, like she would stay at his parents' house and like tell me what they were doing. Like, oh, today we went to the, you know this place and and it wasn't just him. It wasn't just hanging out with him, but I was. I never felt threatened by it. I was just like, you know, like nothing's going on there. You know, maybe sometimes you can be surprised, and it is, but I just, I, I, either way, I just didn't feel threatened by it. There are other times where someone might seem innocent, but you just, on a, on a gut level, you're like, I don't trust this. Um, but even if, like, let, let's say, like, you're, you're a guy, and your girlfriend has, has a, a friendship with another guy, and it doesn't bother you. You're like, yeah, you know... I know him, I know their history, I know I know the dynamic there. I'm not worried about him. Even just the idea that she's complaining about you to that guy, that'll really bother you. And so when when I've had female friends who do that with me where they're like talking about their boyfriend or this guy they started seeing, like I, I just kind of do my best to politely shut it down because like I don't want this to be in the air. Even though you're not talking to me about this guy because you're interested in me and anything's going to happen, even though this guy, in theory, doesn't have to worry about me, and uh, even though this guy doesn't have to worry about me, and in theory, it's like it's no different than her talking to any friend she has or her mom or something or her dad. And that's actually kind of what it's like. When I have had female friends who talk about that, I just kind of like, I don't think like I'm your dad. But it's like, I, I try to like respond how a dad would respond. And if I was a girl's dad, if I had a girl, a daughter, I would probably be similar. Where it's like, you don't really want to know too much. You don't really want to get too in depth. But you want to like give some sort of just like solid feedback, so some solid general feedback. But like even then, you don't, you just don't, I don't know, you just don't want that dynamic to exist. And there's something about like a girl talking to a male friend, even if it's totally innocent, about another guy that just, it doesn't feel right. I don't know, this got into like this deep relationship stuff when I was talking about AI and fantasy. I don't even remember how I came up with it. Like the jewel idea. You know, this all came from the jewel thing where, you know, people want to feel like they have a unique jewel and that plays into relationships. It plays into your interests. It plays into everything. It plays into AI because that's what led me down to this whole this whole road of jewels and possessiveness and relationships and all that is that like even your relationship to AI is that way. I'm realizing this is a new discovery to me and I'm not shocked because everything kind of works this way. But with AI, like realizing last night that this fantasy world AI is creating for me is not entirely mine. It's, it, it generated the same name for the world that it's given to tons of people who use AI. And when I Googled the name of this world and I saw that like people have created games and maps and probably a million other things I, I didn't even see because I didn't look for very long, like, you know, and, and having this kind of feeling like, oh, that world is, is not mine alone. And I'm just going to say the name of the world. Like, it came up with the name Eldoria, which is just, it doesn't get more cliche than that. It was like the world of Eldoria. 
Let me take you to the world of Eldoria. And when it generated that, I was even like, oh, that's so obvious. You know, that's so obvious. Oh, this country is called Eldoria. And there's a secret arcane magic. And there's a battle between conflicting forces for that arcane magic. And the fate of Eldoria hinges on this battle. As the characters, like, you know, learn about themselves and the world they're in and, you know, seek to understand the arcane magic of Eldoria. You know, so it's like, I knew the second it generated that, I was like, that's, that's so obvious. I went with it because I'm like, this is, I'm not doing, I'm just doing this to entertain myself tonight. But like when I typed in Eldoria, a million things showed up. And what was funny about that, though, is that, like, again, like, other people didn't try to cover their tracks. Like, if I was actually the kind of person who was like, I'm going to create, I'm going to have AI create a fantasy novel for me about a world called Eldoria, I would edit that name. I would control F throughout the, I would paste it into Word. I would control F throughout the entire document and, and ask it to change every instance of Eldoria to be some other name that I came up with. And I would probably, and I would probably like Google that word, just to make sure somebody else didn't come up with it, or that nobody obvious came up with it. Like that's what I would do. I'd do it with the character names too. I would control F for every character name and ask it to replace it with something that I came up with. So Eldoria, like the world of Eldoria. Welcome to the magic world of Eldoria where the forces of darkness fight the forces of light and intriguing politics lay around the, every corner. And these good-hearted characters are brought into the tapestry of conflict and must learn the secrets of the arcane magic that has been forgotten and forbidden in Eldoria. You know, I, I you know when I saw that word, like I knew already, but still, I, I got I, I I let it happen. Like when it generated El Eldoria, is like I'm not going to ask it to generate a new name. It's too time consuming, and I don't care. But when I saw that name, I immediately knew, like this is this is this is obvious. This this is I can't be the only one who's who asked it to generate a fantasy world and it gave me the name Eldoria. It works. It sounds like a fantasy world. But I, I knew deep down, I was like, this isn't unique. This isn't a jewel. And then finding out though that like a ton of people have gotten that same fantasy name from the same AI program and have actually used that name uh, for their published projects. I'm like, you didn't even think to cover your tracks and maybe you don't care. Like the sort of person who creates some sort of Kickstarter tarot alternative and names it that because of AI, like they might just be generating a million things like that, hoping one of them sticks. But what was funny is like seeing like the Reddit posts that came up in Google where this kid, and I don't even know that he's a kid, this could be a grown man, probably is, like, he's like promoting, he's like, here's the map I created for my world of Eldoria, and didn't say this was AI 
influenced at all. And then other people who have obviously seen the name Eldoria in their own fantasy AI fantasy pursuits are like, oh, I see, so you're using ChatGBT too. And the kid was like sheepishly like, yeah, you know, he didn't want to admit that it, he just took it from that. He was like, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm getting help from ChatGBT too. It's like, but you didn't, you know, you're not a creative person if you don't think about covering your tracks. It's like the old uh, cliche, a lot, of, a lot of references to cliches here, but uh, I can't avoid it. But it's like the old like cliche where, is it like Dolly or Andy Warhol or Andy Dolly? Um, it's, it's one of those like famous artists. There's some quote that people, like artists love this quote, which is to say thieves love this quote where they're like, it's something to the effect of like, you know, an artist is just somebody who like knows how to steal. It's like, I don't remember the exact quote, but it's like something to the effect that like stealing is okay with art. Like every artist just steals and like, yeah, every artist has points of reference and pulls something from somewhere. But I've always felt like that quote, whatever it is, enables, it, it like, it, it makes so-called artists like feel justified in being thieves. And there's a difference between like drawing influence from something and being a thief. And even if you do, even if you are an artist who does lift an idea from something, and I've always tried not to do that. Like I've never liked that quote. I've never liked that concept. As a creative person, I've also, I've never had the illusion that everything I'm doing is totally unique or comes out of a vacuum. But I've also, I've never leaned into the idea of like taking things like, oh, that's a good riff. I'm gonna incorporate that same riff into my song and just change it slightly. Like I've never done that. Drawings, like there was one time where like I drew something and I sent it to this older friend of mine probably like 15 years ago. And he was like, oh, it reminds me of this album cover. And it was an album cover by a group that I, I liked like an obscure experimental group from the 80s. And they, had, they have like a million weird one-off records they made. And there were similarities. Like it, my, my drawing, it, it obviously wasn't taken from that, but it was like there were similarities. And I had a sinking feeling because I was like, fuck, like I was, I'm really proud of that drawing and, and I still am. But I was just like, fuck. It's not that I want everything I do to be totally unique but it was just it did kind of deflate me for a second where I was like damn it does I can see the similarity on its own I never would have thought that but like when you point it out I see it um, but I've never leaned in and I've always leaned away from the idea of like it's okay to like steal it's okay to just like steal somebody else's approach or ideas and maybe someone would look at what I've done and think that I've done that. Like maybe they would find a way or see something I don't see. But I, I know that I've never leaned into it. Whereas I have met so-called so artists who use those sorts of quotes. Oh, because Andy Warhol said something about um, it being okay to steal under the guise of art. That means it's okay to just be a fucking monkey that means it's okay to like just effortlessly and shamelessly take things. But if you are going to do that, the artistry is in covering your tracks. 
just like if you are going to use AI to generate a fantasy world or fantasy characters, it becomes like it becomes creative again when you cover your tracks or modify it in some way that isn't that 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 actually works. Like with this story that I had AI generate for me, if I went through it, even though AI wrote this for me, and I'm sure some of the descriptions, some of the plot lines, even though I've tailored it and I've specifically pushed it in certain ways where I know this isn't, you're not gonna run this through a plagiarism checker and it's just gonna be obvious. Like if you were to read this, you'd be like, this is filled with fantasy cliches. But I don't think you're going to read it and go, oh, this is just ripping off this. It's just, it's not ripping anything off. It's just riffing on what you expect from a fantasy story. And if you traced it back, like you could say all of this is, is ripping off Tolkien or one of these iconoclasts. Because there's, there, there's always iconoclasts. You know, and it's not like Tolkien existed in a vacuum either. Like everybody talks about his influences, you know. Um, pre-Christian European mythology. You know, it's been said before that he was creating like an alternate history of Northern Europe. He was a, a very well-studied man who drew from deeper influences. But he managed it. He was an iconoclast who managed to create something that people have continued to riff on. Like he created the parameters that fantasy draws from. And it's amazing how little those parameters have budged. And that a lot of people have actually been able to create good things within his parameters. And I don't think in that case it's theft. Because those people aren't trying to, you know, pull the, the wool over anybody's eyes. I think they just kind of realize that like, oh, this guy created an incredible template that we can all use to riff on and some people do it better than others same thing with music like you know the, the first person to play tremolo riffs over a blast beat they weren't operating in a vacuum like they were drawing influences from other things like they developed with taste and interest and those people will tell you what their influences were but like they created a they were iconoclastic like something like burzum yeah, black metal already existed. But he created something simple but iconoclastic, and it changed the parameters of what black metal was. And a lot of people were able to navigate within that. Like, there's probably a hundred bands I like who heard Burzum and were like, you know what? Uh like just a very stripped down but melodic and atmospheric you know form of of metal music that barely even sounds like metal anymore and has high-pitched screams like there's probably a hundred bands who have just like just like there's other fantasy writers who like took tolkien and were like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna stay within these parameters but do my best to make it my own and make it refreshing and like i'm not looking to stray from Tolkien, and I will credit Tolkien. You know, there's there's a hundred bands who did that with Burzum, where it's like, I'm going to stay within these parameters. I'm going to mutate underneath, 
and to somebody who doesn't hear the nuances or have an interest in this, it's gonna it's probably gonna sound exactly the same. Oh, a guy playing tremolo riffs, uh, or or like slow atmospheric riffs, you know, over just like a simple drum beat with screams. Like this all sounds the same. But if you're a fan, you're like, oh no, this is there's something mutating here. There's a mutation here. But then there's a thousand bands who just heard Burzum and they're like, I'm going to do Burzum. Those bands were extremely common for a while. I don't know if people are still doing it, but around the late night, around the time I was getting into black metal, like by the early 2000s, if you were just trying to find new black metal and hadn't found like, you know, like a, a real vein, you would just find all these bands who were like literally just trying to sound like Burzum, like not doing anything refreshing. They were just basically tribute bands and they, they weren't good at it. Like maybe competent, but they weren't good. And uh, I don't know. So it's like, it's, it's the idea of like, you can, you can look at something and be like, I'm going to do something in the style that that Iconoclast created. And I'm not going to really challenge the parameters, but I'm going to try to do something interesting within that. So with AI, it's like, you know, it's kind of similar where even though it feels less creative and in my opinion is less creative, if you generate a fantasy story that way, one, like the first thing you should do is check whether the names it gave you aren't being generated by every single person using that for the same purpose. Something that these other people I saw online obviously didn't do. Oh, oh, it gave me the name Eldoria. That sounds good. I'm going to I'm going to write a fantasy. I'm going to publish a fantasy book about Eldoria. You know, the first thing you should do is like that's 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 barely even covering your tracks. That's just it's like washing your hands. And the next thing you would you would do is you would actually go through the content and tweak it. You know, edit it. Edit it. Edit it. Edit it. You would edit it, you would you would cover your tracks, you would edit it. And even though AI is producing it for you, you know, that's not theft. Like giving AI prompts and it generating a story for you, you're influencing it, you're prompting it. It's not actually stealing from anybody else. It's using a template that's just out there. But it's not theft in the way that like someone would steal a riff from another person. But there is something kind of thief-like about it. Like the idea of just generating a fantasy story and publishing it as is without changing anything, it's lazy. And while it might not be theft, it kind of becomes this form of meta theft when a hundred people have created stories about a place called Eldoria and none of them want to admit that it's just an AI, it's just like the word that AI likes to choose for fantasy worlds because it sounds good. It's sort of a form of meta theft. Even though you're not stealing from a person, when you have a bunch of human beings out there who are all using that because AI gave it to them, 
it certainly becomes lazy. It could be dishonest if you don't admit where it came from. And it becomes a sort of meta theft where you're all taking something from the same source without wanting to attribute this, what the source is. And does just like changing the names make it any better? Well, at least a little bit. At least you're putting some effort in. It depends on what your purpose is. It depends on what you're claiming. Um, you know, will AI reach a point where it doesn't just give everybody the name Eldoria? Maybe. Like, will AI be able to create wholly unique fantasy nouns? what they call capital W, capital F, capital N, WFN. Uh, I forgot a U. W-U-F-N. My favorite radio station. Uh, but wholly unique fantasy nouns. Like, will it be able to generate those? Can you? You know, it's hard. Like, if you if you sit there and try to come up with fantasy nouns, it's hard enough as it is, even if you're a creative person. Will AI be able to do that? You could probably ask it. You could probably say, like, come up with a completely unique noun. But it only has so many letters available to it. Maybe, if nothing else, you can hope that it doesn't just give the same noun to everybody else. But it's, it's probably a good thing that it does just give everybody the same word because it makes it obvious who's lazy and dishonest and who's not. Like, having generated this long fantasy story over the last couple nights... I could probably look at a fantasy book today and tell you, I could probably notice patterns, I could probably notice phrasing, certainly notice nouns that tell me, oh, this person got this from AI. So whatever artistry exists in this new AI world, a lot of it's going to revolve around covering your tracks and smoothing out the digital artifacts you know you think about digital artifacts as like something that appears on an image like oh this jpeg has some pixelation because it was compressed and you know but i think it's the same thing for like if, if you were to read a paragraph and see tendencies within that paragraph that suggest that it came from ai that's a digital artifact too and so we're probably going to end up with a, a world where a lot of creativity is influenced, if not generated by AI. But the people who, I guess you could say, succeed at using that will be the people who smooth out the digital artifacts, who cover their tracks, who manage to polish it. And you'll have even a huge number of people who aren't doing that who want to trick the world into thinking they've created something and so discernment in this new world of AI creativity is going to be having the ability to circumvent those things and it would be probably be better if you just did things on your own probably be better if you just drew things Probably be better if you just wrote things by hand. But that's not going to be what's taking place. And AI will progress. Like, 
maybe in a year, if you ask AI to generate a fantasy story, you're going to have to do even less refinement of it. You're going to have to do, you're going to have to cover your tracks even less. There, are probably, there, will, there will still be things you have to cover, but you'll have to cover your tracks even less. And then it goes back to like, if you were writing this all by hand from your own brain, you'd be covering your tracks too. Like if I sat down with a, a quill pen and a bottle of ink and parchment paper and I was like, I'm going to create a fantasy world from scratch, I would still be drawing from influences, even ones that, aren't, that I'm not even thinking of, like subliminal influences. And like, I would have to make certain conscious decisions. Oh, you know, I don't want these dark mages to just seem like wraiths from Lord of the Rings. You know, I don't want people to just think, even if I'm creating it from scratch, like, I don't want to rely too heavily on my influences or I want to mask my influences. I don't want to borrow too obviously or heavily. So, like, you're having to cover your tracks and smooth out the edges, even if you're creating it in theory from scratch. So, AI isn't that much different from organic creativity in that way, in that there will always be influences. The difference is, if you're truly inspired, there will be fewer tracks to cover. Like, if you've ever made music, you might be playing in a genre or creating something in an existing genre, but you're so inspired by something beyond you that you just naturally create something that's unique within this framework. You're writing riffs or creating sounds or writing lyrics that are mutant. They're not jarring. They don't, they don't clash with the style of what you're doing that's been created by your forefathers. But you're so taken, you're, you're, so, you're in such a flow that what you're doing is just naturally going to have its own flair. And that's why, like, like, you really shouldn't do anything unless you're inspired. And there's, there's a difference between motivation and inspiration. A lot of people are motivated to be creative. A lot of people are motivated to record an album or write a book or draw a picture. But that's different from being inspired. And I think people often conflate motivation and inspiration. You know, they often are like, oh, I was really inspired. And then you listen to it and it's like, there's nothing inspired in this. You were motivated. It's cool to be motivated. It's cool you did something, but this wasn't inspired. You know, this wasn't deeply inspired. Reminds me of something this kid, there was this kid I grew up with, kind of on and off friends, more like, friendly acquaintances most of our lives, but he was like the other artist in school. And I would always kind of like look over my shoulder at like what he was doing and we were never doing things that were similar. Like we weren't rivals. And I don't know if he was doing this to me, probably was, but I was definitely doing this with him where like we'd have art classes together on occasion. Like I never took any like real advanced art class I think I took one. My senior year of high school or my junior year of high school, I did take like advanced art, 
but all it was was like they just let us do what we wanted like we were people who had already had like the intro to art class with the art teacher and she was like oh you five people are good artists so like you can be in my advanced art class which means you do, you just oh to this week we're gonna work on a painting and you can do whatever you want that that was all it amounted to they they didn't give us any like addition I've never had an art class where they gave us any kind of like in depth training and I almost wish that I I did get that but it was it was just basically oh you guys you guys have proven that you can draw so you can do what you want in the back of the room but he and I were in that class one time and like I did find myself like kind of keeping tabs on what he was doing, like how he was progressing. We weren't doing anything similar. Like his stuff was this kind of, what he would do was this kind of like artsy anime. He was the first kid I ever met who was into anime, going back to elementary school. And he was also really into indie rock in high school. So he had this kind of like, he would do these drawings of like anime inspired, inspired people, like portraits but he would give them this kind of like autumnal watercolor look. I didn't like it. And I don't say that in a, in a way where like, I fucking hated it, fuck you, why are you doing that? I just mean like it just didn't appeal to me at all. But I was like, that's his thing. Um, he had, a, he had a, a recognizable style and just because he was like the other artist that I grew up with, I would just kind of look at what he was doing and maybe felt like a little tinge of competition and that's a good thing. Like it's good to like look at what the other artist is doing and not feel any ill will, but be like, well, I've got to keep pushing myself too. Like I hope he doesn't get too much better than me. And I think most people feel that way. I think athletes feel that way too, where it's like, oh, you know, I mean, athletes want to compete and dominate each other, but I think most people who are involved in anything could be. They could be scientific researchers. I know I've listened to podcasts. I've listened to podcasts of scientific, of scientists, like discussing their rivalries with other scientists. Like they, if you're researching the same field, like you want to make the, the discovery before the other person. You want your discovery to be um, the one. And so like some of that, like just like gentle competition is good and you don't want it to get like malignant. You don't want to have like an adversary, but you keep tabs on it. But anyway, I remember him saying something once that in retrospect was obvious, but at the time I hadn't heard somebody say it. Like he and I were talking and he was like, he's like, well, he's like, well it's, it's like how you, he was like, well, you know, it's, it's like how you don't want the paint to look like you just, it came right out of the tube. Like you don't want the color to look like it just came right out of the paint tube. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I was like, that was a good, for a high schooler, you know, that was, it was an insightful comment. I was like, you know what, I never forgot it. Cause I was like, I knew the sentiment of that and, and like already felt that way. But he put it into words very simply and well. And I was like, great job. That's very true. Like when you see a painting, you know, if it looks like everything just came right out of the tube and you never mixed it or blended it or anything. Yeah, there's a way to do that. Everybody, everybody loves that like famous painting. Is it like Mondrian where it's like the black bars creating like squares and rectangles and it, it's like 
some of the it's white the background's white but like some of the some of the squares and are like red and yellow and they're all primary colors like that's people love that like i took this art history class in college the only art related class i ever took and they just kind of went over like the classics it, it was an it wasn't an art history class it was like this art theory class that obviously dealt with art history but like they would show us these presentations and like they were showing this class of kids different classic paintings and asking for like the kids in the class to give feedback like tell the teacher like how it makes them feel which i didn't like i didn't like doing that but i remember like the kids were like very passive and impassionate about everything and then is it mondrian i want to say it is it's one of those monet I, I don't know i don't know artists i know picasso but even then like up until recently i probably would have confused van gogh and picasso you know i, I really don't know art like famous artists and their work that well so i think it's mondrian mondrian who did that one with like the primary colors and it's abstract. It's just like lines with certain squares colored in and it's just primary colors. But like they showed that one and like all the students in the class, like you could hear like a, a gasp almost. And like all these kids suddenly spoke up and they're like, you know what I really love about this one? Like it's like the lines continue to the edge of the painting and it feels like they continue and you know like the red square like it, it makes me feel like this and, and like i don't know i was just like weird like abstraction certainly appeals to me simple things can appeal to me i'm not dismissing that painting i'm not giving any kind of feedback but it doesn't make me feel anything it, does, it doesn't appeal to my senses, but it, it was weird to me to watch this whole classroom of college students like erupt over that painting. And that's an example of like, that, that painting looks like everything was just squeezed right out of the tube. Like when that guy painted it, it might've been hard to even get primary colors. Like there probably weren't just tubes of yellow paint they looked like that. Like you probably had to do, like somebody had to put some kind of effort in to even like create primary colors. Like you can't take even primary colors for granted because yeah, now you can go to the art store and buy a bunch of tubes of paint that are all going to be exactly the same. Uh, or, they're, or they're all going to be like totally standard. But there was a certain point in history where like even being able to achieve primary colors in a painting was novel and crazy. So I'm not dismissing that. It's kind of like music where it's like there was a point in time where just playing power chords was like those are primary colors. It's like, oh wow, he's just he's just moving the same standard power chord like around the fretboard and he's creating something crazy. Like when you hear that chord even in a sequence of chords, you immediately know what chord that is. Like you think about Celtic Frost where Celtic Frost was just like, we're just gonna play that power chord and make these like thuds from the guitar. Like there's not gonna be any real melody. We're just gonna kind of make thuds out of these power chords in different sequences. And the rhythm of the music is gonna kind of like build a texture. I'm getting, you know, very, 
very artsy about Celtic Frost. It is art. Um, and at the time, it was like, wow. Because I, I love Celtic Frost. I love Hellhammer. I love that it's like primary color metal. You know, it's primary color. It's like raw primary color metal. It, it is just like somebody who created something cool with primary colors. Someone 10 years later doing the same thing, like if you really, really like Celtic Frost and they're not enough for you, it's like, oh, cool. They're doing a Celtic Frost thing. Oh, these guys are inspired by Celtic Frost. I love Celtic Frost. I want more. You know, if that's your thing, okay. But like the novelty of primary colors becomes less interesting. Same thing with like painting. Like at, at one point in time, like there was a point in time where like even just achieving primary colors was crazy. And the fact that somebody was like, you know what, I'm just going to do this with simple primary colors like Mondrian or whatever, even though that painting has never done anything for me. And, and I don't want to say I don't understand the appeal. It just doesn't do anything for me. But it's kind of like that. It's just like that guy did that with primary colors. But if somebody else does that a hundred years later, it's like, oh, he just squeezed those out of a tube. The template already exists. But in general, like if you're a creative person, like you don't want things to feel like they just came straight, straight out of the tube. Like you don't want somebody to see the tones of your painting. Like I'm not a painter. Obviously, I've done a little bit of it, but I'm not a painter. But, uh, you know, I like if I were painting, I would be very self-conscious of that. I'd be like, oh, that tone, that color green, straight out of the tube. I got to do something about that. So this kid sang that to me when we were like 16, 17 years old. I was like, you know, that's a that's a great thought. You know, and, and his stuff didn't look straight out of the tube. Even though his work didn't appeal to me, these kind of like indie rock anime paintings. You know, his stuff never looked straight out of the tube. It always looked like his. I would hate to have his art in my house. I would never look at his art and be like, hell yeah, hell yeah. But uh, it was always his. So now with AI, we're, we're seeing another variant of Straight Out of the Tube. We're asking it to generate a fantasy story. You can tailor that story and give it unique qualities. You can give it a skeleton that makes it your own in some way. But a lot of it is going to be Straight Out of the Tube. These names that it generated, Eldoria, the name for the world, Straight Out of the Tube. And so seeing that other people with quote-unquote creative projects got the word Eldoria from AI and had AI generate a world for them and they just went out and published it. They, they did a Kickstarter. They created a video game. They created something and quote-unquote created. Like, oh, you're just taking it straight out of the tube. And so AI does become creative in a sense in that it's generating stuff using this skeleton and you have to be creative to generate a skeleton for it that's going to be interesting at all. But part of the, the interaction with AI is blending the colors, creating tones and shades within that. 
This isn't pretentious. This sounds pretentious because anytime you talk about that stuff, it's pretentious, but this is very real. Uh, and so it's like, you need to kind of mix the colors as it gives them to you. Oh, AI squeezed something. It squeezed the color blue out of the tube for me. But you know what? I've got to kind of mix that in. I imagine there's a lot of people out there right now who are doing that, who are covering their tracks. They're mixing the shades. They're using their own creativity to take this thing that is to take this thing that's giving them stuff that's not theirs but they're managing to like work it in it, it, they're using it as a tool and i know people are out there doing that and in many cases if they're truly good at it it's going to be undetectable like maybe if, if you've worked within the same niche within ai like maybe if you spent hundreds of hours working with a fantasy setting in AI, things are going to be detectable to you in other people's AI-influenced work that only you would pick up on. But it's the same for other things. Like, you can look at a painting where somebody, like, created their own shades, they mixed colors, they created their own dynamics and tones and textures, and it doesn't look straight out of the tube. But if you're a painter, you're going to look at it and say, okay, I know how they got those shades. I know the recipe. I know how they got that kind of like withered, burnt orange look. Because you're an insider. So you, so you could probably look at AI-generated work the same way. And if you're in deep enough with the same niche subject and you've worked with AI enough related to that subject like you can see like where they mix their colors or how they mix their colors but you also will recognize that it takes work to do that whereas you'll look at a Kickstarter for a tarot game called Eldoria which probably uses AI generated artwork too and you'll, you'll see that and be like, oh yeah, that was just paint by numbers. And they didn't even paint the numbers. So this little experiment with AI, while like I have this weird guilt that it's like Christmas Eve, I have to go, to, I have to go back to work in two days. I have all these other things that I feel like I should be focused on. People I should be connecting with. Um projects of my own to work on, projects for other people. I should be getting myself back into the, the headspace to go back to work on Tuesday. I shouldn't just be lost in this fantasy world where I'm generating an AI story that I won't even use for anything. But it's gotten me thinking about creativity. And not creativity as it's opposed not 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 a, not, a, not creativity in contrast with ai because i think a lot of conversations it's like there's there's true creativity and there's ai well if you know true creativity in art and artists you know that there's a lot that's not creative you know there's a lot that might as well be ai long before computers existed 
there were many artists out there who were no better and maybe no worse than AI. So realizing that these things aren't mutually exclusive, and even though I will always prefer the organic, I will always prefer things that are made by hand, I'm recognizing like how the creative impulse does manifest in AI. And that even though it's more difficult to be creative in AI, the creative spirit, spirit can manifest in that. The creative spirit can mix the colors, the primary colors it gives you. The creative spirit can cover its tracks. And if not create something wholly new, create something that does have some kind of mutant property. Because that's my goal in, in not just creativity, that's my goal in life. Is like, I'm always looking to create something mutant. I'm always looking to say something mutant. Not so mutant that it can't be understood. It goes for this show. Not to get too meta about the show here. But, you know, what I've always wanted to do by doing this show is like, this is just dialogue from a guy. I talk about weird things, I joke around, sometimes I get too personal, sometimes I get too critical, sometimes I get mean, sometimes I, I, I get nice. I'm speaking thoughts and, and language here. Speaking thoughts and language. But I want it to be mutant. I don't promote this show, I've been doing it for a decade. I've been doing this show for a decade. Which is crazy. I didn't even really think about that. I think it's been 10 years now. December 2013, I've been doing what was once every night to school night, night and is now just night school. But I've been doing this for 10 years. And my goal has always been to just like offer my thoughts, but for them to be mutant. But I'm not looking to like change thought or language like... I want what I say to be relatable to whoever stumbles across this. I'm sure I say many things that are unrelatable. But I want it to be relatable on just a basic level. Like, I don't want it just to be total nonsense. I want people to know, like, why I'm saying the things I'm saying. And, like, what I mean. I know I don't always succeed in that. But I, want, I do want it to be mutant. Like, I want it to mutate underneath. You're listening to a guy talk, but I want there to be like a mutant quality to that. And so like bringing out the, the inner mutation is, is always my goal in everything I do. I want that in a conversation with people. Like if I'm talking to the cashier about their day, I don't want to be weird. But it's always best when something kind of mutant emerges. Like on Halloween, I went to Trader Joe's and the guy bagging up my groceries was wearing a big white t-shirt. No, what he was wearing was like this costume. It was like this white costume that like covered his torso and his head and like his face poked out. And it had a giant image of a piece of toast with jelly on it. But I couldn't tell what it was at first. Like it was, it was a, like, I was like, is that a, is that a piece, is that toast with jelly just like making talk I was I was feeling glib I was like oh is that, a, is that a piece of toast with jelly and he was like 
no, nah, it's marinara sauce. And I was like, really? And he goes, no, it's jelly. And then like, I, I just kind of, and then I was like, you know what? Like, I believed you for a second. Cause like, like what it was is like, it was a piece of toast with jelly on it. Like it was like a, a, a zany costume. Like I'm going to be a, a piece of toast with jelly on it. And, but like the way the jelly, and then like the image, it was just like a big white thing on him. And, but like the, and the, the piece of toast with jelly was just like a, a realistic image, like a photo of a piece of toast with jelly. But it was just like printed direct. It was like a cheap costume, just like something you order from Amazon. And it was just printed directly on his chest and back. You know, I don't know if it was on his back. It was definitely on his, on his chest. And like, but the way it printed, like the color of the jelly was a little bit off. So I was like, is that a piece of toast with jelly? And he was like, no, it's marinara sauce, which is funny. And I was like, really? And he's like, no, it's jelly. And, and then I said to him, I was like, you know what? Like, I honestly, like for a second there, I thought like, you know, that's people probably put marinara sauce on toast. Like people dip bread and spaghetti or whatever. But I was like, for a second, I had to think there. And he just kind of laughed. And I was like, that, that's a mutant conversation. Because like, I don't want to be the guy who goes to Trader Joe's on Halloween is like, whoa, a costume. You guys dress up for Halloween. Oh, dude, toast on jelly. That's so zany. Yeah, I don't want to be that guy. But I was just, I was feeling glib and brought up his costume. And then like he had a little quip. Like, he, like And I know that guy all day has been getting people just like me who might as well be operating from an AI script who are like, oh, are you a piece of toast with jelly? And so like he, he probably developed that quip just to like keep himself from getting bored. But like, because he said like marinara toast, I was like, you know what? Like I've never thought about someone just spreading marinara on toast before. Obviously people have done, obviously those things go together. Like it sounds good. Talking about it right now, I'm like, you know, that actually sounds really good. Like dipping a, a crusty piece of bread in marinara sauce. Why wouldn't spreading marinara sauce on toast? Why wouldn't that be good? But like I'd never thought about that as a thing. And like obviously they're not going to make a costume of that. Like, like that's not a common enough thing. Like there's something about like jelly on toast. This is so, so like normal. And like there's something people would think there's something funny about that. Like there wouldn't be something funny about marinara on toast. Like if his, if his chest had a giant image of like really red marinara sauce on toast, people would be really confused. Even though that's another thing that people might eat, it's not, it's not like an icon. Like jelly on toast is like this icon. Whereas like marinara sauce on toast isn't. So when he said that to me, like when he quipped back to me, like it changed my brain particles. Like my brain suddenly shifted to like, oh, marinara sauce, marinara on toast. I've never thought about that. It was a mutant conversation. Didn't it, it wasn't deep. It wasn't anything. But it's like, I want that from like, just talking to, to a coworker about their morning or something like, oh, how was your night? Oh, it was good. I watched Netflix. Like you don't need it to be like any more involved than it needs to be. 
But if something like fresh comes out of that, like if that conversation mutates, you feel better. You feel like something was created out of it. And so creativity, you know, it's not creating brand new things. It's not being God and creating brand new things, just pulling them out of emptiness. It's mutating things. And you can mutate a drawing. Like you could sit down with a pen and paper and draw something that a million other people are drawing and there's nothing unique or, or cool about it. It's just a template. Or you can sit down and draw something and you have influences too, but you create a mutation. And same thing for picking up a guitar. You know, same thing for writing. You can sit down and say, like, I'm going to write a fantasy story. It's going to exist in the parameters of the fantasy genre. It's not going to be fundamentally that different from Lord of the Rings or any of the other things that were influenced by Lord of the Rings. But if you're inspired, like, you can cause a mutation in that. It might not be iconoclastic, but it'll at least be competent in its own realm. Realm. And what I'm learning is AI is similar. It feels like it's, it's strayed farther from creativity, true creativity, creativity. But it's like there is a way to mutate that too. There is a way to mutate that too. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free So take my hand And walk this land with me And walk this lovely land with me Though I am just a man When you are by my side With the help of God I know I can be strong
this golden land with me Though I'm just a man When you are by my side With the help of God I know I can be strong To make this land our home If I must find a fight To make this land our own Until I die This land is mine